CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What is up, Gypsy Gang? Before we get into this episode of the podcast, have to give a massive shout out to our awesome sponsors that keep the power on in Gypsy Gang Studios. Firstly, I need to give a big shout out to our friends at Nobby for keeping keeping the kids in their seat, keeping the uh, twig and berries in the fruit basket. These guys have been a sponsor now for a little bit and I'm really starting to... I guess see the value in wearing super high quality underwear all the time and when I started the deal with these guys it was really just because I liked the brand and the vibe and I think they stand for the same things that that we do here but over time I've really begun to appreciate the product and the quality and I just never really thought I was going to care that much about my underwear as I do now. Um, I've just hit the tipping point of not having any other underwear. Um, I went and ordered some extras the other day so that now I don't actually have to wear anything other than Nobby. Um, I've said it before in the, in the ads, but my preferred one is the long leg, um, I just feel like that keeps me covered in like all situations, um, whether it's training for jujitsu, surfing, mountain biking, or racing. Uh, I don't really race anymore. I can't really claim that. I just say riding. When I'm riding motocross, um, that cut for me just keeps everything pretty well where it needs to be. It is super, super easy to join the Nobby Nation. It's just 20 bucks a month for a fresh pair of duds delivered to your door. Uh, it's super easy to cancel that subscription if you would be crazy enough to do such a thing. Uh, head to nobby.com.au and give them a follow on the gram at Nobby Underwear. Like I said, I'm I'm fully in now. I liked the brand before, um, but I've really fallen in love with the product itself. Next, have to give a shout out to our homies at Boost Mobile. We've had a lot of great feedback from people who listen to the podcast um, that have made the switch. And uh, we had the call out going for a while, um, just asking kind of if you've switched and where you'd heard of it. And we got a ton of responses. I'm, I'm really grateful for the people that did respond to us. Uh, and it seems like the feedback that we've gotten anyway is super positive for the people that did make the switch. Um, 
$50 gets you 20 gig of data. Super easy. You can get a SIM card at servos or you can head to boost.com.au uh, and make the switch. I have not regretted making the switch at all. I'm never looking at um, how much data I've got left because I've got more than I need. Um, and I'm a super data hungry mofo. So this has been a great fit for me. Um, and it's been a great fit for listeners of the podcast as well, which stokes me out. My guest on the podcast today is a man by the name of Nick Joyce. And it's pretty cool how we kind of got in contact. Uh, Nick has been a guy that's listened to the podcast since maybe the second or third, um, episode. And we've kind of got to talking over that time. He's actually the guy that is responsible for getting me in contact with Adam Greentree. Um, so yeah, he's just kind of been a guest of the podcast since uh, the very early days. Uh, Nick's a pretty cool individual in his own right. And when he told me that he was going to be coming uh, to Queensland really quickly, I thought this is a good opportunity um, to get him on the podcast. We haven't really had too many like long conversations um apart from over the phone so I thought you know what let's just go deep um get on the podcast and and uh and make it happen um it was a really cool chat Nick's got a great story um his family I think he said in the podcast is like a sixth generation farming family um he is a hunter as well and just a really really knowledgeable dude uh, with a super open mind and I really enjoyed talking to him, and I hope you guys enjoy listening. Uh, so without any more talk, Nick Joyce. Nick Joyce, mate, farmer wants a wife. You've come to Brizzy. <laughs> You've come to the big smoke to try and find a gal. Is that true? Uh, not a whole heap of truth in it, mate, but uh, <laughs> poking around, yeah, loving, uh, loving the weather up here, mate. A little bit... Uh, more livable than down south that's for sure yeah you guys had it pretty cold this year right eh? yeah i think because uh, we had such a dry winter mm. um the, the not having the clouds and that for to keep the heat in uh we'll freezing down there this year so yeah not not too enjoyable you get up here and it's like why would anyone want to live in south australia yeah dude no uh, i mean yeah queensland i'll live here for a reason that's for sure yeah. i got i got lucky to be born here but i definitely don't think i'd choose to go anywhere else yeah um so for the people listening you're the reason I got the Adam Greentree podcast going. So for every, all of the million people that listen to that, um, <laughs> say, a, say a quick thanks to, uh, to old Nick for that one. Um, but you, uh, you're kind of in a similar sort of world to what Adam is. So I think for people that kind of enjoy um, what Adam does and, and his lifestyle that he lives, you kind of live a similar lifestyle Um you know, kind of living off the land and the way that you hunt. Obviously, you're you've you've got the farming side though, which is a little bit different. Yep. Um. But yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed talking to Adam with with his stories, and we've had some conversations. You're into the film stuff as well, so yep. thought we'd just get you on, mate, and have a yarn. Otherwise, yeah. we we're gonna. I think we had like an hour chat in traffic the other day, so I was like, well, let's just <laughs> put a couple down on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now that we do have definitely similarities as far as. Uh, the hunting goes and and just our appreciation i think um for wild animals wild game and the benefits of it the enjoyment of the hunt uh the adventure that it brings and the experience really mm. um probably coming from a, a a farming background might be slightly different mm. it's interesting wearing both hats um growing up uh with farmers that yeah i don't know like sometimes they, they like i think farmers know 
know the weather, know their land and soil probably better than anyone. But there's certain things they probably overlook uh, at times, and it's like, oh dear, they're not making me money. Yeah. Want to get rid of them, or whether it's you know simple stuff like rabbits and foxes, fair enough, uh, eradicate and stuff. But yeah, I sort of see the resource that uh, some of these introduced species that are called you know pests in Australia can be um, as a as a resource rather than actually a pest, uh, and that's just what hunting sort of done for me. Opened my eyes to sort of seeing that, um, and I guess yeah, the experience it brings. We're only allowed to hunt. Um, introduced species here in Australia. Yeah. As far as your deer species, we've got six of them. For those that don't know, six different species, water buffalo, uh, or six deer species, sorry, and then there's a range of others such as water buffalo up in the Northern Territory, which I spend a lot of time hunting and, and, and taking people hunting up there in the Northern Territory as well, um, which a lot of people see as pests the way that they wallow in the ground and what they, what they what? just destroy shit. yeah they do they yeah. destroy a lot of shit it's just they're like nature's bulldozer really yep yep and uh yeah they're such a big animal like and uh the impact they have on uh floodplains uh with their wallowing and and even you know what they browse and eat and the grasses and stuff compared to what is our natural ecosystem up there is definitely an imbalance and these things i think need to just be managed accordingly not eradicated not wiped out because they are a resource uh, and for, for many years the water buffalo and still do do better than cattle and stuff up there in a lot of places mm. why, uh, do, why do they do better why do they um, survive better because of the the layout of the land there's a lot of like um floodplain country which is just like swampy crap really where cattle just just can't don't go. yeah don't want to go um another reason is these little flies they get up there that bite the cattle and bite they want to bite the buffalo too this little fly um the buffalo wallow and get in the mud and cover themselves in mud essentially mm. so that these little flies can't bite them and stuff so another reason why they're a little bit more tolerant to it than the cattle um but uh, yeah i think i think it's because of the wet season up there and the monsoonal rains and just the um yeah the the, the sheer amount of water that's on the ground mm. the water buffalo hence their name does so well in really wet conditions. Dude, I never knew that, eh? Yeah. So, yeah, so that, that kind of makes sense to keep them around in a way. Yep. Um, because you can obviously eat the meat. I don't think it's the best eating meat, but it is a resource in terms of you can eat it. You Absolutely. You can sustain people on it. Yep. Um, but they're going to do better than cattle and they can be in an area where cattle can't. Yeah, and the taste thing's so interesting to talk to. Like, people that I guess have grown up just, say, on beef or chicken or something like that where the meat doesn't really have a whole heap of flavor it's more the texture that we enjoy i think of it like mm. a well-cooked steak it's more yes it's the flavor but it's probably the seasoning on top that people are really 100%. you know they whack their mushroom gravy on it or whatever and they they look forward to the sauce and the texture more so than the flavor yeah, of the meat i would agree with that dude i had a piece of steak the other night and it was cooked beautifully but the meat itself had no flavor. Yeah. And I was disappointed. But I, I have had steaks where the, the meat has a lot of flavor. Yeah. But I think you're right, man. Like, when do we... Uh, I was training and I, I was trying to lose a bit of weight. So, I actually wasn't having any sauce. I was having no salt. Yeah. Because, um, like, for water retention and yep. stuff like that. And, uh, and, yeah, I was, like, really actually surprised how little flavor just the meat itself had. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. You try eating plain chicken breasts like it's another level again just because of the i guess the breeding and and the genetic structure that they've changed the chicken probably i'm sure 200 years ago a chicken was probably a bit of flavor in it nowadays mm. it's just white meat that you need to put something on a bit of nando's peri yeah, peri or yeah. something on it to make it taste any good whereas 
your wild meat, which is still um, hasn't been domesticated or bred through for certain um, types of, you know, like, like traits, like yeah, size certain and traits, like exactly. Um, leanness or whether it's actually marbling in some cases nowadays with domestic cattle, you know, your wagyu and stuff like that's all marbling that we're looking for. Um, this wild game is just natural as it's always meant to be and it's super rich so like it can catch people off guard at times yeah, um that's what they say it's gamey but yeah I, i've never really found yeah, that yeah to be a problem no i don't find it a problem either like it's definitely rich i and, think that the thing with buffalo though is it's tough like you've got to cook it a different way to yeah. to you can't just cut a steak off a buffalo and it be like a in my experience anyway mm-hmm. it's like this tender 100%. nice bit of yep because they have a hard life, yep. essentially, you know what I mean? They're, they're working every day. Yep, and, and age structure is a huge part of that. Um, and I guess this is a side of me that I've got to see from our farming side. We run like a, a beef feedlot as well. So we run our cattle through on grain uh, after like, you know, 100 days, 200 days uh, in our beef feedlot, fattening them on grain and then selling to Woolworths and stuff like that. And knowing the process that goes into... I guess producing good meat and then what they do we get our um, our own personal cows we'll pick one out that's you know pick the best one that we can see for ourselves to eat and um, then the aging process once um, being killed we go through a slaughterhouse that does it for just a lo- little local butcher who's really good um, we'll age that meat for like two three weeks in a, in a cool room before we want to package it or cook it. Yeah. And that's something that probably gets overlooked at times with wild game. Oh, is because you're eating it fresh off the kill. Free, free, uh, eating, it, eating it fresh. The, the, the meat hasn't had time to actually age and the, the little microorganisms and stuff, I think, inside, or the bacteria, sorry, start to break down that meat essentially. Still within the parameters of like not getting sick, obviously. We yeah. don't get sick when we eat our cows at home, but like it starts to tenderize the meat with age of a few weeks in a cool room and stuff and it just like if you do that with your wild game the the difference is incredible yeah while you're out there while you're hunting and you're dirty and sweaty and you've been out there for a week and you've been eating packaged meals dried meals that just taste shit like a piece of meat like a straight out the backstrap or whatever that animal over the fire on a stick tastes incredible you replicate that probably at home in your air-conditioned home and everything. It's like, oh, this is bloody tough. Just this, after you've had some fucking peanut m and Yeah, exactly. Kind of, kind of you know, this is a bit off, bit tough, but out there it's brilliant. Anything tastes good out there. Um, but when you get home, actually aging your, your wild meat uh, just transforms it completely, I think. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Like, that's... Uh, I haven't really thought of, thought of it like that. Eh? Yeah. Is it... Like, are we starting to see people take the whole farming and food sourcing more seriously like because I, I like we've spoke about on the phone like how fucking annoying some of the vegan activism and some of the animal activism is that goes on right yeah. there, there's a side of it that like let's say like the far left side of the argument is just fucking absurd mm-hmm. and it's annoying and but it's something you're forced to deal with and yeah. constantly explain. But then I think that that sort of has like a follow-on effect that the people that aren't as retarded, yeah, as those people, it question it makes them ask some questions that probably should be asked. Yeah. So it's like, is it almost is there a bit of good that's coming out of the fucking craziness yeah. to where people now care about? Uh, the farming aspect we're taking more interest in our farmers we're seeing more sides of the uh, of the argument but it's kind of almost through this ridiculous side yeah that makes sense yep for sure i think um 
yeah, it's such an interesting uh, concept. There's people on either ends of this argument, as you said, far left, far right. Neither are probably hitting the nail on the head. They've got, yeah. bl- they've got blind spots, whether that's through emotion, whether that's through habits or um, lessons that's been passed down to them that they haven't ego. really... Ego. They haven't explored themselves. They've just been told it uh, by a friend or this is how it was, this is how it is, this is what they do, this is what they think. There's a real, yeah, hate, I guess, that grows from far sides of the argument uh, I definitely don't want to be far-sighted, but looking at both, like I, I met this um, this vegan fella out of Sydney. Uh, he was flying a drone. We we're out in the middle of like a national park. Uh, I just pulled up there for the night uh, on my way through driving, woke up in the morning, rolling the swag up, uh, and he and his couple of his mates, they were from, um, oh, they were from uh, Turkey. They were Turkish yeah, fellas, right. and he was a vegan, and his, and his partner was in the, in the end as well. I don't know how we got onto that subject, but... Um, because they fucking love telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was really interesting. Like, it, it was so good hearing from him. Like, I don't know. In my own personal circle of what I do, I actually, I can't even really think of a vegan, to be honest, that I, yeah. I really know in my circles. But it was interesting meeting this guy. And we ended up having more more similar, more in yeah. common because of his stance on on why he doesn't eat meat. Because, oh, I, he, you know, he said, look, I don't think I could kill the cow myself so why should i be able to eat that beef yeah and, and you're going well i do kill that cow myself and i know the responsibility yeah and that's why I can't absolutely and, and here in his point of view i was like mate that's such that's such common sense like that that makes total sense in my mind like if you don't have rather than someone saying oh you're a hunter that you you're a piece of shit as if you'd kill an animal Meanwhile, they're cutting into their steak that Woolworths, they think, you know, it's mm. fine because they bought it from Woolworths. I didn't kill it. I'm fine. I'm a good person. I didn't kill an animal. Well, like, you're still eating meat. Like, you're not, this is for someone that's not a vegan, obviously. Like, those that want to judge hunting or gathering your own meat or whatever, and then they still eat meat. They have mm. leather jackets. They have, you know, all these animals that have died for those products or those clothing or they still eat meat or, and they want to, condemn hunting and stuff uh but then there's some vegans like this fellow this um this fellow from turkey that just made total sense he said yeah like you said i might eat fish a couple times a year i feel like i I feel like i could catch a fish and 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 kill a fish and eat that fish so so i eat fish you know once or twice a year my partner she won't eat anything but so i'm not as sort of strict as her and stuff but i was like mate makes makes total sense we had a a good chat and went Mm. on our way so like that's another thing that i think is just absurd like how um social media and opinions are really i think and 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 even mainstream media and stuff just try to fuel this debate fuel um this anger amongst one side to another of and building up problems bigger than what they really are that at the end of the day i think if two australians i'll speak from australians point of view like two australians come together with a difference they have a chat generally they'll Maybe you're able to see each other's side of the story. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, you go your way, I'll go my way. That's sweet. Whereas as soon as it's on on a social yeah. network, it's you effing this. Like I hope you die. I hope like it's like whoa, what what is this? Like where like you wouldn't speak to someone like that down the street or nah. face to face. Fucked up. Yeah, I know. Like you, that that's that's like the real big problem with it is like there's no actual consequences yeah like if me and you started having a heated argument right now and i started saying i hope you die there'd be some physical altercations (laughs) that would probably come with that yeah or like one person's either gonna fight or flight yeah like that's the natural instincts but when and that's how communication fucking works Mm -hmm. like people need that there's respect involved because of the 
uh, physical consequences that could happen if you don't respect somebody. Yeah. And if you're the person that uh, is, you know, it's just that fight or flight response, you're either going to have a person that's going to move forward yeah. or you're going to have a person that's going to back away. Mm-hmm. But on social media, there's just no, that whole natural fight or flight response yeah you have to respect that response when you're in a physical space yeah you have to respect that it can go further than words Mm -hmm. and therefore you're going to walk a little bit more carefully you're going to be a little bit more calculated yeah but that's just gone on social media you can say whatever the fuck you want yeah scary yeah it's bloody interesting that's for sure it's like it's just i think we all just have to get to the point of like not actually giving a fuck when that does yeah. go down yeah because if you're the kind of like i don't think i've ever left a hateful comment on anything no, no ever either. yeah hundred yeah who's got i don't i don't know who's got time to be yeah. honest like who like who really is it's amazing it amazes me that they can sit at home and search things that they hate yeah to, to type messages and like <laughs> well i think like <laughs> it's incredible i think a big part of it is like it's like a group mentality or yeah. it's like a it gives you something to like belong to yeah so then you can get a friend and this isn't just a vegan thing like i'm not being a vegan hater yeah it's just a it's just a general like outrage thing yeah so it's like say if you're like fucking crossfit for example mm-hmm. and then you've got your friends that also have your beliefs and then they're going to give you like sympathy and attention yeah when you're like, oh, I went on this message board. Oh, wait, guys, have a, read this comment. Yeah. And then you, you've got this like group interaction. Like that, what people have in common now yeah. is outrage yeah. and uh, discontent. And then they kind of feed each other. Yeah. There's no, uh, it's not like they have another outlet to be, um, to, to kind of have that togetherness yeah. with people. And it's like the easiest uh, the easiest way to like get that bond is through um, fucking finding a person that's as outraged as you. It's the just old- an easy, clear cut. Let's cut straight to like the thing we have in common. We fucking hate uh, hunters or we hate <clears throat> farmers or we hate this and let's go together because it's a bit harder to um, maybe have like a more genuine connection. Yeah. And like, it's the same thing, man. It's like, you know, you got mates that, are just mates through partying mm-hmm. like they don't know what the fuck else they have in common yeah like I've, I've got friends that i'd call them like my party friends and i don't really anymore but i used to just party with these fucking people whenever i wanted to have a good time and have like zero actual fucking engagement or yeah. any there's no substance to the friendship yep. at all yeah but we just had that one thing in common yep. and then you just go there but there's nothing really fulfilling yeah. in that and i think that's like a similar thing that happens to these people that are like just fucking outraged at shit mm-hmm. and it's just like there's no real substance there yeah absolutely and it's like they just want to it's almost like they just want people to hear them complain yeah and like indulge them it's it's incredible yeah it's it's unreal like i think people are so quick these days to like play that um sympathy card like yeah. you know the victim card victim mentality um and because it's so easy yeah it is it is and and it's i don't know yeah once again i don't know who's got time for that sort of stuff but you see like every now and then with someone you follow uh on instagram or something like that instagram's just been a platform that you see this shit in front of you all the time but like say hunters for example there'll be a hunter that puts up a photo um and okay maybe 
it's not super tasteful or whatever, but that's that's what he's doing. That's what he's about, whatever. And then there'll be all of a sudden like instantly 100 comments like you know like like this groups picked out this photo and they said all right everyone this photo here go to this link jump on it and and just rip him with comments and stuff of death threats and all this stuff and it's like yeah there clearly is groups or you know clearly groups of them that just say yep this is a photo we want to go after today it's like yeah strange strange world yeah and like it's only in their circle that they feel like they're making a difference mm. and it's like they're all just kind of pandering to each other yeah no who even knows if the guy that put the photo up gives an actual fuck what yeah what they've got to say yeah we we're saying that today on the phone weren't we like you know someone toots in traffic oh that's it yeah <laughs> i was trying to send nick the address and uh this guy, and i was kind of like i mean i shouldn't be texting and driving but i was going just before a roundabout the guy toots me and i'm just like man toot all you want <laughs> I'm still going to finish this text. <laughs> I'm still going to go around the roundabout. Uh, I just don't... I don't know if I actually give a fuck about your outrage. <laughs> Maybe that's the wrong attitude. Uh, I don't know, but uh, I don't care. Yeah, nah, that's right. Um, where did we get... Where did we bloody... I know where we got off track. Tangent? Yeah, we got off war. Oh, I think that... So, um, it seems like, though, it is coming around to now where people are like going, oh, okay, then maybe we should buy from these farms that do look after their cattle and yeah. grass fed and free range and you know yeah. all these kind of yeah. hot topic words yeah but it seems like people now do care more than they ever did I, and i think like you like cage-free eggs and stuff mm-hmm. like that it's 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 a slow process though and I, I think like and i guess going off on another tangent but i think we all think that things should take less time than they do mm-hmm and it's a super unrealistic expectation and i think about it more and more with um like the women in the workplace thing is is a thing that kind of springs to mind right Mm -hmm. and i i always try and whenever i whenever i think about a topic i try and take it back as far as i can in terms of what i know yeah but it's like you got uh you know captain cook whatever comes to australia there's all men on that boat yeah that's not because of any other reason than at the time women were supposed to stay at home, look after the children. Like that's the way it was mm-hmm. back then. We're talking hundreds of years ago, right? Yeah. So it's like, then you get all these men, all these men get off the boat. The men that get off the boat are the first people here and they're out of necessity. They're setting up, this guy's going to look after the, when something goes on fire, this guy's going to look after um, when people get out of control, he's going to have a little jail and he's going to mm-hmm. put him in jail. This guy's going to be the fucking, the mayor or the sheriff or whatever you call it. And that no one on that boat is going like, oh, we should wait for the women to get here so that it's like equal. And mm-hmm. it's just straight necessity. Mm-hmm. These people fucking land, they get off the boat and then that's what they start doing. Set up roles. And yep. then it's, they're, yeah, they're, these roles get set up. It's not out of like, we hate women and we don't want any women to be in these roles mm-hmm. at that time. It's just that women in that time didn't get on those boats. They yeah. didn't do the exploring. The guys that got there got off the boat. They had to set up these roles. So it's like, I think we, we want to play out these ideas like they were these purposeful, uh, discriminative ideas because right now in the current guidelines or, or the our current mentality of like oh women should be treated equally women should women are just as capable as being on a boat but these are like ideas of the time but mm-hmm. we're still living in a world where the systems 
don't catch up to the ideas. Yeah. And if if that was the case, then like it would have just been perfect from the start. Mm-hmm. But it's not perfect from the start. Yeah. So these new ideas, these forward thinking ideas, people being progressive, that is what then forces the system to change. And there's a there's a lag time. And you can't get around that. And there'll be lag time right now. In 20 years with these new ideas that we come up with, they'll look back on this time when we're fairly progressive and fairly open-minded and there'll be a catch-up. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that that, that like men, like people don't think like that. They think about right now. Yeah. And they're like, we need to change it right now. There's fucking systems in place. Yeah. And there's systems uh, in place because there's so many people that the system has to work for. And, you know, and that's like the vegan stuff now to get back to the farming. What's the, what's the alternative? You've, you've got farmers like your family mm-hmm. and fucking thousands of families throughout Australia and hundreds of thousands of families throughout the world, millions mm-hmm. of farmers. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what? What do we do with them? Yeah. You just stop yeah. because of this new idea yeah. that, it, that is a product of maybe, what, 2015 yeah. to now? Yeah. What the fuck do you do with those yeah. people? And what, what do you do with the hundreds and hundreds of millions of stock yeah. that, that, that rely completely on a farmer because of domestication and sheep need shearing? They say that's cruel, but like... I've seen sheep that have have missed shearing, you know, because they're out in the bush or whatever and they've missed mustering a few years. You get them back in, they've got three years' worth of wool on them. They can barely stand up because the wool's that heavy. Um, they're so hot, overheating, whatever. Um, the sheep inside that wool is suffering. It's been bred over hundreds, maybe thousands, I don't know, years to produce wool and a bit of meat, the merino, but mainly it's wool. That's what we're you know breeding merino sheep for. Um, and... That sheep needs shearing or else it will die in a few years because the wall's too big. So, like, these hundreds of millions of animals, more than that, the hundred millions of pigs alone in piggeries and stuff like that, like, it's it's incredible the numbers of stock out there that's feeding this world. Um, like, it doesn't, it does not actually make logical sense. It's not possible to, yeah. to what do you do with them? Do you just set them free out there and then they'll just die? Like, yeah, it... it there, there's there's too much emo like there's a there's emotion involved that clouds thinking of common sense I think yeah um and people get way too attached I think what's changed drastically and I heard this it's, it's not my own idea but um say thirty years ago generally generally city people lived in the city had because there was much more farmers in australia there was a lot more there was a lot more people the farms were smaller because the machinery was smaller you needed more labor on the farm nowadays as things are becoming more and more mechanical bigger machines bigger farms that farm's now been bought out by the neighbor next door because he's got the the kids and the workforce or whatever it is to take on that next farm people in the city have less contact with farmers to be able to talk to them about oh why does this happen why does that happen why do you do this and the and there's such a difference now between real farmers and primary producers that are producing the food that's in these city supermarkets and people are so disconnected from how did that piece of meat get inside that plastic? Yeah. Don't know. Well, an animal was grown out here on this farm and raised and, and it was selected through breeding and whatever and fattened and looked after and then it was made sure it didn't have any disease, it made sure it was you know tick-free, whatever the species might be. And then, you know, 
put through a feedlot or maybe it was grass-fed the whole way through and then it went through a slaughterhouse, it was killed. Someone with their hands put a bolt gun to that head, killed it, and then it went through probably a, a line of butch, you know people cutting it up, meatworks, and then eventually it got in that package for you to eat tonight um, with your family or whatever. And, and I think people are so disconnected with that process of where this food's coming from my cousin, it's, it's just, it shocked me, but it shows you the reality of it. My cousin, he lives next door to me on the farm and he had a few friends, or not friends, but a friend and his friend brought a couple of friends that he'd never met on the farm and there was this girl from America and she, you know, sort of working it all out, looking around, yep, um, about an hour or two into the, like being on the farm and stuff. So she's like, and she asked him, like, so what do you actually do um, for work? And and Sam, Sam, my cousin, he's like, this is, it, this is it. This is this is this, this is, is a full time job. This is a full time. This is what I do. She goes, yeah, but how do you make money? And he's just shown her all the cattle, shown her all the crops that we've got in the ground, and he said, these cows, we sell them to you, and without me breeding these cattle and and growing out cattle, there's there's no food in the supermarket. And she was like. Oh, like completely bamboozled that farmers fill the supermarkets with food. And she was just like, wow, I thought they just just did it themselves or something. And it's like, wow, like such disconnect from where this stuff actually comes from. Um, Yeah, it it blows your mind, really. I didn't think that would still still happen. But yeah, there you go. A couple of weeks ago. Well, then, yeah, you you just you got to think that like. Yeah, the, the more people get insulated into the cities mm-hmm. and the more people... Like, you don't have to leave yeah. these days. Like, there's not... There's so much shit that you could do to keep yourself entertained in cities. Mm-hmm. And I don't personally think it's very wholesome activities. But nonetheless, there's activities that you can do to where you just don't have to leave. Yeah, And you get people that hate leaving the city. They hate going out into the, the wilderness. They hate going to anywhere where they, there's not a bed I reckon, and a, a, you know, B&B sort of style deal. Anyone that's got a Vodafone SIM card probably hates leaving the city because <laughs> they do. Check it, no service. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone that signed up on Vodafone never leaves the city. It's as simple as that. <laughs> Pretty good point. Uh, but if you're on Boost Mobile, no. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's definitely... But I think, like, as much as that disconnect still exists, I think we're getting into a time where more and more people give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Because you see these image. I guess anyone that is, like, diligent enough to do their own research mm-hmm. will know that, like, it just makes sense. Like, all right, I'm a farmer. My livelihood is my animals and my ground. Mm-hmm. Am I going to treat my animals poorly? And am I going to pollute my environment? Mm-hmm chances are no yeah like those animals are going to be cared for because you need the highest price yeah for that animal yeah and realistically man to buy a steak is fucking absurdly cheap yeah yeah for the for the price so you've got to be making sure that your animals are as good as possible to get top dollar yeah because in all reality like you're not getting that much money for them in in the big picture oh 100 and exactly what you said completely true It, it it is incredible and I don't know farming in other countries really. Like I've seen a little bit in America as far as small ranches and that out in Montana and, and Colorado and stuff like that. So I've had a little bit to do with people out there which run very similar mentality to us in Australia. 
Um, but obviously there's there's you see I've seen these documentaries and that like yeah. those factory farms and stuff that that they are completely different. It's so different. Small time generational farmers are completely different, run completely different to what I think huge corporate farms that are owned by a group of people that have a manager on there that say, hey, like the manager, he doesn't own those cattle. He's just there on a salary, on a wage. He's been told, do this, do this, do this. He's got his set, you know, list of jobs and he tries to manage it with his employees that go down um, and generally... The, the care gets lost along the way from those corporate people that just have a percentage of it to then the manager and then his employees that are sort of shit kickers that that care definitely gets lost um and i think that's something that we have to be careful of in australia and even <clears throat> around the world i'm sure is protecting the small time generational farmers that are self-efficient um that run that, that know they know their land they know the rainfall they know the weather systems they know what works because it's been passed down for generations i'm Thankful enough, I'm the sixth generation farmer on my little piece of land that we are in South Australia. Um, and through that time, we've started to get a bit of an idea of what happens, yeah. um, you know, over 150 years or whatever it is. Um, so, whereas these corporate have such a, I don't know. It's just a bottom it's, line. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a bottom line um, and, yeah, it gets lost. So, I think something's, yeah, America... I think at one point in time, their farmers might have not been able to feed America, I think. And I think that's really the problem that you run into. And and that's where, like, I'm I'm all for um, the moving towards a, a race of people that eats less meat mm-hmm. to where it becomes manageable that the animals get looked after properly. The I'm fine with the prices going up. Mm-hmm. And people really having to think about purchasing good quality meat that was cared for and delivered to that supermarket in a very ethical way. Yeah. And I I think that there's also a problem in the mentality of thinking that killing an animal is ultimately unethical. Mm -hmm. I think like that's a really big sticking point that we need to get over. Because I've got so much common ground with vegans, like you said, in the fact that I want animals to be treated well. Yeah. But their their main point is animals shouldn't die. But every animal dies. Yeah. And if you don't eat that animal, it dies for naught. Yeah. Um, um, nothing really dies for naught because it goes back in yeah. the ground and then it, like there's a cycle of life. Absolutely. But that's the point is that life eats life mm-hmm. without... And I love when Adam said on the podcast that the earth is the ultimate predator mm-hmm. because ultimately the earth eats all of us. Yeah. We all go into the ground. Yeah. We all go get cremated. We're at some point, like, you know, you can get as fucking as far back on it as you want. The, the Big Bang, all matter was created mm-hmm. and there's no more. Yeah. In, in the, you know, the theory of the universe, all the matter was created and that's it. So everything that's here is here. And, and and at one point and another, like this is a weird thing that my mind goes back to as well. It's like at one point the cells that make up my body was something else that was living. 100%. You know, like, you know, obviously I've been eating stuff, but like, you know, way before the thing I even ate, that was something else too. Yeah. You know, dinosaurs, whatever, you know, whatever age group, it's, just, it's the same stuff. It's just, just being, recycling. It, uh, yeah. yeah. Dude, I got like super fucking baked the other night and thought about that. <laughs> it was like someone said reincarnation. 
and we're we're at a, like a little fucking get together and we're all sitting around drinking and fucking carrying on and um and someone said like oh do you believe in reincarnation and i was like that's nah, fucking retarded and then i was like started smoking and i was like oh hang on a second this is a slippery slope i fucking do believe in reincarnation i don't but but it goes back to that right mm-hmm. it's like we all are like the cells and the matter in our body mm-hmm they didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we didn't exist before, but our cells did. Yep, Everything been has through. been here. Yeah. Everything is this recycled um, like matter, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And whether I was a fucking bullfrog, whether I was a dung beetle, whatever part of matter that it was that, that my DNA has ultimately come from, um, even the things that I ate, I eat a piece of steak my body metabolizes that the proteins then go into my muscles that you know what i mean mm-hmm. like all of this shit gets used and we're this constant we're all this one big living organism essentially yeah. that is kind of stuck inside this our earth's atmosphere yeah and it's fucking mind-blowing when yeah. you really think about it so it's like if all of this shit if everything gets if everything dies and gets born again as something else down the track then death isn't the thing that we should avoid what we should avoid uh what we should strive for instead of avoiding death and Mm -hmm. killing animals is making sure that every living thing on earth has as good a life as it can possibly have before it ultimately the the inevitable it's inevitable and like you said if that sheep doesn't get shorn and you know we get the wool from it or if that cut at that uh cow doesn't get slaughtered it's still gonna die yeah and it's like at what point does its life then diminish to a point where it's mis in in misery and oh in absolutely what um like and i guess what value it depends what glasses you want to put on really it's like <clears throat> if we're sitting down and we're enjoying and really <clears throat> having a having a great time around that steak and appreciating that well-cooked steak or the roast or whatever, essentially that cow... Is being, is, like, honoured. Yeah, exactly. Versus a cow that stays out in a in a paddock, you know, not farmed, and dies a slow, miserable death. Its teeth fall out, it's skinny, uh, and then it, you know, goes blind, it can't find the water, and dies of dehydration out there and rots on the ground. Yeah, okay, the it goes back into the soil and the soil's regenerate, you know, regenerated and stuff, which is, which is awesome. And I think there's a, there's a great strength in field harvest i think that's a great point of of hunting and actually cutting up your meat out there and the bones and, and then what, leaving the rest yeah and yeah. it stays there for the for the microorganisms to break down in the soil and the soil is so rich with um nutrients afterwards like that's just such a a powerful point but back to the cow it's like what is actually appreciating that cow more is it is it <clears throat> killing it in its prime it's lived a good life it's it's bred a few times through its younger years it's passed on its genes uh, and then now we take that old bull or whatever in a hunting situation or a cow in a farming situation, re- remove that and allow another younger cow to come in or bull to breed, uh, to, to put its gene pool back through and make a strong, stronger herd, a healthier herd. Um, that to me makes total sense in my mind. If you can yeah, have that in length. terms of respect for yeah, the animal. Yeah. yeah I, so. I totally, totally agree. And like how many people have said like, oh, fuck, I hope I go before i you know go blind and get dementia and my fucking i can't eat and i you know die this fucking slow death like we think that (laughs) yeah and i always think like and i mean fuck might be ignorant 
but and someone probably would call it ignorant but if i'm a fucking cow and this is me just putting myself in this cow's point of view and i get two options you can live in these fenced this fenced enclosure with all your fucking mates and you can eat well you'll never go hungry a day in your life and right when your fucking prime hits we're gonna take you away Mm -hmm. it's gonna be quick you won't suffer and then you'll go on to be this or we'll let you out these gates and we can't promise any safety you will either get eaten by pack of wild dogs here in australia yep dogs dingoes they'll fucking eat your ass first while you're still mooing yep and they won't give a fuck and then when they're done with you the birds are going to come and they're going to pick away at you yeah or you manage to avoid all that bullshit but your teeth fall out you can't eat you go blind exactly what you said yeah like what are you gonna rather yeah and there's a certain level of like humanity in that yeah i think i think yeah i 100 percent agree i think that's something that definitely situate uh differentiates us from animals is that we have a conscious we have sympathy um we can look at something and say oh shit that's that's not right or we can do that better whereas and i think that's because we've we've got to this point of, of evolution whatever you want to call it um some people want to say well, it happened it created whatever we have this place of conscious now of conscience now to look at things and try to do them better and and make it yeah make it fair i guess for everything out there we have compassion for things that's something that we have that other species don't you watch a crocodile up in the territory grab you know a wild pig or something up there and just grab it and just try and you just know, thrash the thrash fuck the, out of the yeah thing. yeah it's it's not it doesn't matter whether it grabs it by its back leg or its head you know there's no there's no thinking oh let's try and kill this thing quick quick and, quick and yeah. whatever it's just smash and whack and drown it whatever they can do to kill this thing uh, same with the dogs like we said you know grab something and eat it from its ass end out while it's still alive lions ripping the shit they out of things in africa if it's got a little fawn next to it yep. that's crying for its mum like. and they'll kill the fawn first if they need to you know bears in in uh killing elk and stuff bears over kill fucking other bears man. yeah like so, they don't they're ruthless <clears throat> yep so that like that essentially like we've yeah i guess moved past that now and this is something i think this comes back to what you were saying about the meat i think in australia we're thinking more about where our food comes from because the demographic of the world australia what we know is changing back in the great depression you wouldn't give two fucks about where that steak come from or, or how, what died, what animal it is. That's a dog. Who gives a shit? I'm starving. I want to eat it. Whereas now as we've changed and things have got more comfortable, um, the Australian um, you know, lifestyle, are now, I guess now is so comfortable for us. We think sit back and we're chewing into our you know, $50 steak and just thinking, oh, shit, is this, is this killed nice or yeah. whatever. Whereas we, we've come through stages and I think, like more recently, I was speaking to a pig farmer out at Kangaroo, and he was saying the same thing: how China is actually changing. Like more people are coming into the middle class in China. That once so many were in the poorer, yeah. um, you know, ways of life, and now as people are starting to get wealthier around the world, people are wanting to eat better food. That they're starting to think more about where their food comes from. Uh, prioritizing a healthier lifestyle because people want to live longer um all these things the, the world is starting to change because we're getting more comfortable but when when things were uncomfortable when we were poor and we couldn't afford this and there's still people in australia unfortunately that you know are poor and on their ass not from lack of trying but because of circumstances 
they don't give a fuck where their steak comes from. Just feed me, you know, I'm hungry. So as more people get comfortable, I think this stuff will start to be prioritised and is becoming more prioritised. But, um, yeah, that's sort of something I've sort of... Yeah, yeah. I I totally agree. And, and like, I I guess, yeah, again, fucking rambled off. But what I would like to see, like, I'll eat a 3D printed steak fucking for sure if it means that let's get rid of all those factory farmers that treat animals like shit and then the farmers like because in my mind it's like a supply and demand thing right Mm -hmm. so right now you guys as farmers have to just you it's all the demand right is for is real steak that's our only option right yeah Yeah. so it's like it's kind of just gets leveled out and it's just like you the the farmers have to produce as much as they can. Like you're, you're not going to fucking outsell or have surplus steaks at the moment. Population mm-hmm. keeps going, and mm-hmm. especially in America. So it's like we just got to fucking pump these animals through because we can't keep up with the demand. Yeah. All of a sudden, I think if we move to a place where we're eating like 3D printed steaks or there's um, uh, non-meat alternatives, then it's like, all right, well, let's fuck off all those things. Let's put in some standards. Let's go back to these primary producers, people that have lived and farm the land like yourselves mm-hmm. for six generations and then let's drive up the price of these premium steaks mm-hmm. and you guys get more of a, uh, a a healthier cut of what you're producing because it is this top quality and it it just puts a, pro, a focus of real meat mm-hmm. into a hundred percent quality the best care for animals the best care for the farmers growing those and it becomes more of like a a respected and expensive commodity mm-hmm. if that makes yeah. sense yeah and i think that you know it's it seems like especially in the u.s it's just like this fucking machine and you just can't yeah. feed enough people and yeah. and with that the quality goes because yeah. it's just you know it's, cheap. Cut, it's cheap. just cutting the coke man yeah like you're cutting it because you fucking you can sell it yeah you've, you've got to make it happen yeah so like i'm i'm excited to move into a society where you can take those huge fucking factory farms out mm-hmm. and then the meat that if you're going to eat real steak and real pork and real lamb you're eating fucking good shit yeah and you're paying for that good shit yeah and i think that that's more of the world that we need to go towards not fuck hunt uh fuck hunters fuck farmers mm-hmm. we're gonna get rid of this whole terrible um industry because i don't think that that's yeah you know where we need to go yeah and i but i think everyone can agree that we don't want chickens living their entire life in these fucked up cages Mm -hmm. and and you know pigs living in those factory farms and cattle being mistreated like oh no one wants that yeah and i think especially farmers like yourself don't want that yeah no absolutely and yeah it's it is pretty crazy um as far as yeah i guess the reason this has happened is because people up until now maybe it's changing haven't really probably prioritized qual- like i mean australia we're very fortunate in australia yeah, we're, like we're, we're, we're we are, still got it pretty good we're, really. we are, compared to a lot of other countries america is, is a big one you see the you know the shows and the, those documentaries that come out of there are some of the stuff they're eating and the shit that they the chemicals they run through it and um stuff like that australian farmers um especially in the beef and lamb industry that that we're that i know better than you know the other industry farming industries um we have a lot of strict guidelines as far as like um even all our tags and ear tags of how we 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 can trace animals where they've come from where was it born where did it get moved across australia this one live 
cow and it eventually ended up here you got to keep track of all this stuff um and even like you know chemicals or whatever that's been put through put on it um as far as not so much chemicals but like um vitamins if you're putting vitamins into it's like supplementing with vitamins because it's in a um you know they like us we need a certain amount of vitamins and stuff so you boost them with vitamins we're not allowed to put hormones in them so anytime you see like no added hormones it's like well that's that's just a bloody given we're not allowed to put hormones in beef like that's just a stock standard in australia so yeah there's a lot of strict guidelines um i think when people start to realize like even the 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 cost of running a farm like I sort of I wear two hats as like, I see mum and dad and how they've how they run the farm and do such a great job, um, and then I see I've had to run a couple little businesses on the side for myself, and the risk versus the reward with farming in Australia and how it's set up currently is ludicrous. Like what what farmers every year we we're, we're mainly crop farmers. What we the amount of money we just put in the ground. With, and just you know, hope and just hope it rains we got no irrigation or anything like that it, it's all on the rain the amount of like the, to the percentage of what we make back gross and then profit is absurd like any other business around like if you show them just a business like hey, this is how we run our business what we do this is what we invest at a super high risk and then this is what we get back people would just like their hair would fall out like they'd be like are you serious is this what you do like um so it is it is pretty crazy and we're seeing it at the moment with like this drought that's been around for in some places quite a few years now um where it hasn't rained out west in new south wales it is just sand like it's horrible um and i mean that's australia i i, I see that's a part of being a farmer in australia like there's going to be dry times and um it's been awesome to see the support that city folk and people other farmers in other places that are still doing well are helping these other people out um but i guess yeah this is the risk and reward of it all the lifestyle and um it is special growing up on a farm like very very privileged to grow up on a farm and have as far as you can see is my land to go and explore and have a good time um buy old shit box cars and you know yeah. rallies through the scrub and stuff as kids that you know in our teenagers or early teens and paintball fights down in the scrub like do whatever you want on a farm it's awesome um shoot guns and hunt and all that so there's a lot of pros to it um sorry i'm rambling mate get a bit off topic bit off topic but um as far as the the bottom bottom line as a farmer like being the primary producer um i've shared this on and off a little bit through like say so some of my posts and that i do on um social media and stuff and try to share this story and i think that's something great about instagram if you use it for the right things i come across yeah. yeah if you use it for the right things it can be a great tool in education and sharing sharing stuff but um i think the primary producers like he's he's just like at the end of the road he's getting screwed over by everyone like he needs tractors to put in his you know um crop or whatever well diesel prices keep going up um he needs fertilizer to grow his crop well fertilizer prices keep going up he needs you know but then like yeah grain prices oh there's heaps of grain at the moment grain prices come down so now his commodity he doesn't even tell him like, oh, i need i need this much for my grain because this is all my you know costs involved i want to make this much this year so this is what my grain's worth after all the costs involved that everyone's just put you know uh, freight bills and everything on spray chemicals all that stuff to spray your crops with and keep them healthy um then someone tells him what his commodity's worth it's like nah sorry mate 
it's not worth that this year. It's only worth this much. He's worked all year, invested this much amount of money in capital, uh, in, in machinery and land and all that, and now he makes a loss for the year because there's a huge crop in America because it's all on the worldwide market. Our grain gets exported overseas and stuff. So if every other country does well, our grain prices go down. If other countries are in a shortage, a drought or flooding in some places or fires, then our grain prices tend to go up. So, yeah, you're all at uh, a primary producer. Like you've got no you know, real leg to stand on if shit either goes good or bad for you. There's highs and lows of it all. Um, do you reckon that there's changes that the Australian government could do in terms of like import and export and, you know, is, is there things that could happen that like... Because as soon as you get like big business involved and you get a stock market and you get people investing, like it is just a commodity. Yeah. It's not really uh, people regulating an industry so that the industry is healthy, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's... Um, so I spoke to a few farmers. Um, they're from Iowa and where else were they? Somewhere um, South Dakota, I think they were. Maybe South Dakota. In uh, in America, I was hunting elk in America, in Montana. Happened to bump into them uh, in the mountains. Um, I'd packed in like a like a couple of days hike over these huge mountains and got back there thinking I'd be all alone um, hunting these elk. And anyway, bumped into these guys that had land access because there was no access into that area except by private property and they end up getting private property. So they just drove in. And they're like, oh, come down to camp. We'll have a beer. And I was like, oh, shit. So I went down there, had a beer with them uh, and, and had to chat and they were farmers. So we had a few things to talk about and compare. And uh, I was just blown away at how the American government subsidizes their farmers over there. I think I think they've potentially, I don't know the system in and out, but like it seems like the American government has put a value on keeping family farms farming in America without it getting already there's huge corporates don't get me wrong but if it wasn't for this subsidization that the american government's giving these farmers i think they would have already been bought out by corporates mm-hmm. um so what happens is the american government basically looks at your farm maybe a 10-year record and looks at what you produce uh over those 10 years as an average uh, and then it looks at um your financials and what you're making roughly as an average and then it says okay in the bad years, if you're having a drought or you're having whatever, your a fire comes through and burns down your corn or whatever they're growing over there, we will come and give you that average salary regardless. Even if you have a great year, like you might only get a, a small little buffer or you might not even a great year, maybe not get anything, but we're going to give you, so you make this average salary every year. You've got like this safety net. And in Australia, there's there's none of that. So like, so there's none of that at all. Nah, the, the, the we got one benefit of being a farmer in Australia, uh, and I forget what it's called, but basically we can do offset income. So if we have a huge year, say this year, which we won't, because we've had a horrible sort of not affected by drought, but we're very close to being affected by drought. Our crops are small, but if we had a huge year, um, say this year, and made and the prices of cr- grain were really good, and we made a lot of money. We could instead of getting fucked on tax, you yep, could we can carry offset it, carry it over yep. till next year or the year after. I think two years, and slowly bring in bits of that money into. We still have to pay tax on every dollar we make, but it's just not yeah. all at once. Yeah, and that's our benefit that we get to be a prime producer. Um, in America, however, yeah, they got a different system that sort of definitely protects the small-time farmer or rancher in America to keep farming. Whereas over here, like I said earlier there's less and less farmers because farms are getting bigger. Um, so therefore, 
we're not making more land. It's that little guy. He just got bought out. And then this guy was a substantial guy, but oh, he's got no kids that really want to come home because he's also seen yeah. it like me that, gee, this is a very bad investment. You know, we're going to... Bust our ass for fucking nothing. Yep, so I'm going to go and, you know, get a whatever degree and go do that. And then he's got no sons. He's got a big, nice-sized farm, but he's got no sons or, or daughters that want to come home and farm it. So then he sells. or you know, And so it's just farms are becoming bigger and bigger in Australia because the little guy isn't really looked after or appreciated essentially i think um so that could potentially be done better um to keep smaller farms smaller farms that are run well which they have to be run well um to to stay viable uh i think would be a way to look after stock better look after animals um you're looking if you've only got a hundred cows in your paddock it's so much easier to say, oh, that one's got a bit of a yeah. a funny eye. Yeah. Bring him in. We'll bring him into the yards and we'll, we'll give him a, you know, um, look over his eye and might have to do something with that, get the vet in, whatever it might be, fix the cow up, put him back out because you've only got 99 out there now, so you've got your 100. Whereas when you're running, say, 10,000 head of cattle, that one with the with the, with the the eye or the, the, the limp back leg, you don't see that because you've got too many things, shit going on, so it can be overlooked. So I think yeah. um, there, there's there's a definitely a benefit in smaller well and again that's you guys thinking about the animal yeah not the profit yeah but i guess the animal is the profit yeah so essentially you are yeah but there is more of a focus on the well-being of the animal it's funny what you just said then like the animal is the profit the animal is wanted to be looked after and this is like back if we swing to hunting a lot of people their argument against hunting is that like how dare you why are you shooting that animal? And it's like, well, that hunter paid a lot of money for the for the licensing, the tag, and even if he wants to come and hunt, or say in Africa, Africa's a very controversial point for a lot of people shooting, I don't know, a hippo or even an elephant in some places. Like, I've, my mind's opened up to this sort of stuff. Like, there's, there's hunters that go there completely, this is all legal that they're doing. This isn't poaching, this isn't, cutting off a horn of a rhino and leaving them out there to to fucking to slowly fu- die. die these are these are hunters that want to do the right thing but okay they love hunting that's different to you but let's let's have a chat about the conversation hear here here yeah. and out why they're doing this and what what benefit this can have um and yeah it's like oh the world is so crazy on like facts and how we think we heard it it must be true yeah and it's like in some places in australia I'm sure there might be a kangaroo shortage somewhere. In one little pocket, once upon a time, there might have been, let's say, 100 roos here. Now there's only 40 kangaroos in that little pocket or whatever. So for whatever reason, there's, so someone could say, there's a shortage of kangaroos in Australia. And then if they see old mate up the road shooting fucking kangaroos 40, 400 k's away, yep. you know, what the fuck are you doing, mate? Where's, I got to- where's I got, the shortage? Yeah, there's a shortage. And it's like, where did you even get that statistic from? So like over in Africa, there's the same story. Like some people think, oh, elephants they're are all endangered. endangered and whatever. And it's like, well, certain pockets, like they're not. And this is where like animals having a value, that hunter that goes in there and kills that elephant, you know, he's paid X amount of dollars and that elephant has a huge price tag on its head of what it's worth. So now when the villagers are there in Africa, when they're growing their crops and this pest elephant comes in, storms through, smashes all their crops and kills two villagers, 
they're not going to turn around with whatever tools they have or rifle or whatever and shoot that thing. They're going to call up their mate and say, hey, we've got this problem elephant that keeps coming in here. It's killed our crops two years in a row now and killed probably a total of four or five villages. We want him shot and taken out rather than just shooting him. Leaving him to die. Yeah, leaving. Well, they'll probably eat him anyway like because that's what the meat gets used for. But instead of just that happening, they get, say, okay, old Bob from America wants to come over and shoot something because he does whatever, paying, paying his way, all legal. Says, hey, Bob, you can come and shoot this elephant, this problem elephant that's going to get killed anyway. We're going to take 50 grand out of your back pocket and we're going to pay 25, or say 10 grand of that to the villagers, 10 grand in licenses and whatever this guy running his business of the safari hunting or whatever it might be. And then the villagers still get the meat, the same stuff that they would have had before, but they've got an extra 10 grand to replant the crops or pay for the funeral of old, you know, Jimmy that just got killed by the big task. (laughs) And, you know, and it sort of goes round. And that's the benefit of like doing things legally and having a value on an animal because those villagers would have killed that elephant straight away, regardless. For zero. For zero. And then next time another smaller elephant comes in, they say, we don't want him to kill our, you know, eat our crops or kill our crops or kill Jimmy's little brother. That'd be horrible to lose another son. So we're going to kill that elephant too. They're like, let's just wait and see what happens. And if he turns into another pest elephant or whatever, well, then we can get the Bob from America back to shoot him again and make more money. So yeah. having a value on these animals is important. Um, and not that I've been to Africa. I can't wait to go and check it out and see for myself. These are only stories you hear and, and people that are on the ground in Africa and you you hear enough stories of the same thing, you do start to, you know, yeah. put a put an opinion sense. together. Yeah. And you, you can't you can't argue that well, first of all, you can't judge people in Africa for wanting to kill an elephant. Mm-hmm. We're in Australia, we're in this lovely studio, we've got nothing fucking worrying us. I don't personally have any crops that an elephant can destroy. Yeah. There's not an elephant that is gonna fuck my day in the world yeah i have no reason to want an elephant to die yep would be very oh. very irrational if i wanted an elephant to oh, die i'm the same yep but i then cannot say that all elephants deserve to live and there's no fucking problems with elephants mm-hmm. just because i don't have an elephant that's going to ruin my lovely podcast studio doesn't mean that there's some poor fuck out there that has elephants that ruin his life yeah and it's all like his perspective on that is more valuable than mine mm-hmm. because I don't have any, there's nothing that can go wrong. Yeah. And like you said, there's villages that can be killed. There's crops that can be destroyed. And to sit here on our side of the fence and condemn anybody based on our lived experience is bullshit. Yeah. And it would be just like them telling us what we should do with our fucking traffic. Mm hmm. You know what I mean? They don't even have a car. Yeah. So why would we listen to their advice yeah. on fixing our Brisbane city traffic? Yeah. It would be retarded. Yeah. You wouldn't do it. Yeah. And it, I just think that it's it's just a problem to sit here on our... Essentially, it's an ivory tower. Yeah. And try and dictate to people what they should and shouldn't do. Yeah. What we should say as like a humanity is like, well, elephants probably deserve a place on this earth. Yeah. hundred percent. And lions deserve a place on this earth and hyenas. So let's not, and again, it comes back to that humanity and having a conscience, Mm -hmm. you know, let's, let's use this conscience to say that everything does have a place on planet earth. Mm -hmm. 
but not every particular animal has a place if they're you know there's problem out there's problem tigers mm-hmm. in india that just fuck shit up they're mm-hmm. just just habitual man eaters like mm-hmm. you hear stories of tigers that are just run through villages and because they're protected they can't do anything about it mm-hmm. so it's like yes as a whole tigers should exist yeah but maybe that one tiger shouldn't exist yeah and that's fine yeah. and it's just like people if there's a fucking problem person what do we do to it yeah absolutely we get rid of problem people yeah doesn't mean that people as a whole need to go away mm-hmm. but there's certain people that do need to be managed and that's based on our like humanity and our, and our conscience yeah but man i was so like when i was a, a, a group think victim of that whole cecil the lion thing yeah and and i just didn't understand as well that like animals have a date that they become like they hit a point of diminishing returns Mm -hmm. and that cecil the lion was at that point of diminishing returns yeah they're big they're strong they're battle tested and they will fuck up the other young lions that need to reproduce yeah you get too many kids of cecil the lion you don't have a diverse gene pool yeah you don't have uh other young healthy lions that are able to develop those skills of leading a pride so there's like there's so much that goes into these things that is way deeper than like the face value that that we see it on and it's the same as like bears in alaska like they there's some stuff that or there's always a lot of controversy around around bears bears, and you know that sort of thing because we kind of view them as these cartoon characters and whatnot yeah but there's real problems with bears in Alaska, grizzlies being protected and just fucking shit up. Yeah. And like people t- take it again on face value and they go like, oh yeah, we shouldn't kill these bears. But you get some bears that are killing other bears. You get bears that are killing people. You get like bears that are going too close to people. It's like there's just certain problems have to be taken uh, or dealt with like pragmatically mm-hmm. based on like the situation at hand yep. not this ideology of like what we think the world should be like yep yeah and that um you brought up that i was thinking as well and we're talking about the elephant and whatever and the cecil the lion thing was a huge example of that like these knee-jerk reactions that come of it because it's this sensation i was one of them yeah this 100 percent guilty yep and like to be honest like i genuinely sat back i was um like completely running a my own hunting business up in the northern territory um and taking people hunting and stuff right through the middle of this stuff and i saw the just huge amount of coverage and then the amount of hate and the amount of businesses that jumped on turns you know knee-jerk reaction you know Qantas making public statements like Qantas like yeah what we, the we, we, fuck does Qantas have to do with a lion yep just we will not you know take the um, shipment of <clears throat> uh, trophy animals or whatever all this stuff all these companies worldwide were making these huge statements because so many people are in uproar and I, I generally sat there and I was like wow like have I got a blind spot yeah. In my mind, as a hunter and as someone who actually like runs a, a pro- makes a profit from hunting, have I got a blind spot that hunting is outdated? That these people are true. It, it's not a thing that we need to do anymore. It's it's old school. It's barbaric. Whatever. Have I got a blind spot? I literally sat there um, for for like months, like without hunting myself. Like literally, like let's look into this. Let's look at the facts. And once the news and the press settled down, and people didn't want to really know about it, whatever. The, the story started to keep coming from hunters and conservationists in Africa of what these new laws, 
how they were affecting stuff in Africa. Oh, so like after the fact. After the fact. And so up until that time, hunting of big cats and that in Africa was legal. You could bring it back into America. That's generally where all the hunters, like 90% of African hunters probably come from is America. Um, You start to hear these stories of what's now happening to the big cat population and how that national park that Cecil the Lion came from, he was right on the boundary apparently when he got shot in the place they were allowed to kill it, um, but whatever. And what happened is that national, like America then put on a ban of like big cats. You can't bring big cats back from Africa as a way because Africa didn't want to ban big cat hunting because Africa profits from it and Africa understands this, this is a continent and obviously there's smaller countries in that that have their different laws and stuff but countries in Africa realize the benefit of hunting to them and the profit they make but also how their um, their rangers and their you know people that the the scientists biologists are all employed by hunters money American hunting money is employing these biologists and stuff that are conducting studies yep. and then the thing too is like the we all get as fucked up over, like, more fucked up. Like, I get fucked up when I see an image of a rhino with its horn cut out and it's left there and it's alive and it's just fucking left to die. Mm-hmm. But that happens because there's no one out there protecting that mm-hmm. animal. Yeah. And it's like, if, if you've got a value on the animal, if it's a commodity that is valued and, pe- unfortunately, it's... It's the way of the world. It's the free market economy. Mm-hmm. When you have a valuable economy, that's like, do we, why, why do we feel good about our money being in a bank? Because it's protected. Mm-hmm. We know that people aren't going to just, they're not allowed to just walk in and poach our money. Yeah. That's because that money has a value. People make, banks make profit off us keeping our money there. Yeah. And it's the same thing with these, these animals. So now all of a sudden, you're saying to the bank, you can't make money off our money, but we're going to put our money in there anyway, mm-hmm. but you you don't profit. What's the bank's incentive yeah. to protect that money? So they go, okay, sorry, Mr. Security Guard. there's We're not making any money off this money, keeping this money here anymore. Mm-hmm. You're out the door. Mm-hmm. Sorry, tellers, you're out the door. All you've got is a fucking room with a bunch of money in it. Yeah. And it's fair game Yeah, because there's no fucking value. Yeah. People aren't going to just do something for nothing that's not the way the world works and that's what's happening in these places where you take the hunting away all of a sudden there's no value Mm -hmm. on those animals yeah and there's no incentive so that's when you see those images of rhinos getting poached elephants getting poached tigers lions getting poached that's because they're not protected there's no value there yep. needs to be a value on those animals because unfortunately there is an economy who the fuck's gonna go do it is is mary on instagram that's pissed off about the fucking the rhino getting killed is she volunteering her life to fly to africa and follow around that fucking rhino with an ak-47 mm-hmm. Even if she did, she'd get fucked up. Yep. She doesn't come from that world. Yep. You need the people that come from that world to make the decisions. They know how to look after these animals. They need the money to be able to look after the animals. Because yep. at the end of the day, old mate that's walking around with the rifle, following around the, you know, these endangered uh, or, you know, the lions in these, these national parks, mm-hmm. they've got to then go to a supermarket They've got to buy food. They've got to put their kids through school. Like there has to be a value in things because people have to live their lives. Yeah. Yep. And you take away the the 
uh, value of these animals and you take away their need for protection. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, as soon as, um, like, yeah, that, that values on things, that, <clears throat> as you said, um, everything finds its order. And those, like we were just speaking earlier about the, the gene pools and like the age demographics and all those things of a hunter coming in and taking out that animal, the herd is stronger, um, the gene pool's better. And then, oh, oh, bloody hell, what was I going to say? I've lost my train of thought. Um, well, you got like, especially like you, we were talking when we were on the phone that about the ruse. Yeah. Like we've got a huge problem with kangaroos in Australia. Yeah. And it's not publicized at all, is it? No, it's not. And and something that like, yes, yeah, spanned me out was um this kangaroo, the movie or whatever it was called, come out in this trailer I saw on Facebook. I was like, oh, this is interesting. When was this? Oh, this was Jan. It would have been January this year. I saw the first trailer come out. Kangaroo the movie. And what's it like a Disney movie? No, no, it's a documentary. Yeah, and um, it's basically American made it, and it is so far from the truth. Um, Basically saying how we've got a kangaroo shortage. um, Basically saying that the kangaroo culling or shooting industry in Australia um, is one of the worst. uh, Like. Uh, kangaroo the movie. Nah, go kangaroo, kangaroo the movie. That's it there. That's the website. It might be... Click... Yeah. Anyway, basically, it's going on. It's just like complete lies, to be honest. Um, oh, I can't believe it's won award, film awards. It, it's like, oh, yeah. Fuck. It, it blows your mind how far from the truth that that so-called, you know, film or whatever is. Um, and I saw it and... I know little about video, but I was like, bloody hell, I want to do something about this and actually interview the farmers and landowners. Hang on. Yeah, definitely keen to have a look at this real quick. The internet's not great down here. Yeah, it's insane. So this is an American guy. This is an American guy that come over here and is basically... He's gone to Australia Zoo and he's gone, (laughs) look how fucking nice these things are. And they are a beautiful animal. They are cool. They are such. I love them, and I, I absolutely love them. I think Australia needs to needs to see the kangaroo as a resource, like way more. We need to eat more kangaroo uh, meat. We need to utilize the leather. It's the best leather in the world. Kangaroo leather is the best leather in the world. That's what they make the the, the highest end football boot, or like you know your Asics or your Adidas. Really? What is all kangaroo leather? Um, yeah, obviously your Sharon's of a football, that's kangaroo leather. It's the, this is the softest leather in the world and inch for inch or whatever it is, it is the strongest and most durable leather in the world. Fuck. Yeah. I have no idea, man. Yeah. Here, let's have a quick look at this. This is their land. Yeah, well, there's like six fucking bald eagles. I hope everyone can hear this too, because I'll turn it up a bit. Yeah, sorry, to the internet's not good down here. 
people in the United States have no idea that the products they're buying are kangaroo. It's the largest land-based slaughter of mammals. They can't be farmed, so they have to be shot in mass in the wild. a link yeah. anyway but yeah. so basically like they're saying that like the american view is that it's like the bald eagle but the bald eagle there's not a lot of them yeah and, and i know i can't really comment on that all i know is that, like if you if you watch that trailer it, it blows my mind coming from the land and seeing the insane numbers of kangaroos and to be honest, like this drought that they're having out in western New South Wales, western Queensland, uh, parts of South Australia, uh, just north of where I am, this drought has honestly, because what's happening with landowners is they're being encouraged by the government to put in, there's been funding and stuff for like um, bores and dams and these station owners that own hundreds and hundreds of thousands of acres um, of scrub, bush country, whatever, that is, it's in a harsh environment. And if it doesn't rain naturally without these dams or bores, the land dries up and everything that's out there, wild animals or stock, if it's still out there, dies. Because animals in 45 degree heat and no rain, they need water every day or every second day or else they die. So as soon as these natural rock pools or, um, you know, whatever soaks or whatever it is, springs dry up, as soon as rivers dry up, as soon as they are gone, the animals that are out there die. Well, over the past, you know, decade, maybe two decades, whatever, that the landowners are starting to say, hey, we want our cattle to make use of that grass that's still out there on the other 100,000 acres of our property. So we're going to go put in three or four dams or bores that come up out of the aquifer, out of the ground and pump water there all year round. Regardless of rain, for two years, we know that we can get water out of, our, out of the soil, out of the ground, put into that trough, and then the animals can go out there and eat that grass to a certain level before the landowner says, you know what, the cattle are eating. There hasn't been enough rain this year. The cattle have eaten us out. We don't want to eat that any more than what we will or else we're going to start to really destroy our land and there's going to be erosion. There's going to um, the shrubs and the grass won't recover from one or two rains. It's going to take a much longer process than that. So the, the stockman, the cattleman, the landowner pulls their stock um, off of those places, out of those paddocks and either puts them or sells them and then they wait for rain. But what happens is now that they've got these big dams out there that are huge, deep, that will, you know, even in a drought, hold water, these wild animals like the kangaroo, which would normally be dead because they would have died... In, from natural From causes. natural causes, died from natural causes, are now surviving these droughts and these dry periods they're getting through so the population isn't because the kangaroo can populate super super quickly the the they can have one like generally always have two joeys on the go one either one in the tummy and one in the pouch yeah yeah so yeah so one little tiny whatever ready to crank up and when there's a bit of food they speed that process up and when there's no food they can actually slow the process down of growing another joey and then they'll have one alongside them or one in the pouch you know so they've already already sort of always got two on the go and if they're getting through these dry periods these populations are just like exploding because there is no dry period now yeah because of our man-made water, water. And, yep and what they're doing is when that grass that's seen as like i guess money on the ground to the farmer like that grass fattens his cattle that's his money essentially if once that grass is gone or that food's gone that mulga whatever it is is gone he can't make money until it comes back 
So he wants to preserve that, doesn't want to go too far. If you look at it like, yeah, a, a, a bank account, it doesn't want to go too far into debt and, and do a, a deficit to his land. And he doesn't want to have too much out there or else he's not capitalizing gains. So yep. it's that balance. He wants to keep it. As soon as he brings his cattle off that land, but there's still water out there in his big dam or or whatever, these kangaroos are just breeding and still eating into his bank account, essentially. And they eat it down, eat it down. And, the and there's, w- there's no fences that are keeping roos out. Yeah, no. And they're just starting to now because that's seriously the only way. Because up until now, or within the last probably, I think, month, um, the, the laws and regulations around the kangaroos and what you could actually shoot or kill was super strict. Uh, they've recently, the government and state governments in New South Wales have realised, while well, we have a huge kangaroo problem, a, a huge overpopulation problem, um, and the kangaroo itself is suffering because now there's way too many kangaroos that have eaten the ground bare. There's still a bit of water around. They from, eat it to dirt, eh? Yeah, it is, it is dust out there, you, like... You go out there and see. I drove through there on the on my way up here. It is, it's like depressed. Like you feel sorry for the landowners out there looking at their land just topsoil, just blown away with the wind every day or whatever. Like it, it's so bare, and that's not necessarily from their fault. Like because they've taken their cattle off some places twelve months ago. Yeah. But the kangaroos have still been out there. Like you can't, as they said on that, you can't farm them. They're a wild animal. You can't keep them in. You can't keep them out. They go where they want to go, uh, and and eat along the way. So this drought has been apparently talking to people who have seen other droughts and stuff and looked at it closely has come on so much quicker than other droughts. Normally it's a two, three-year process of no rain, whereas 12 months, no rain, it's all of a sudden gone gone because of the native animals, the kangaroo that's out there just... There's some properties out in Queens, uh, out in New South Wales have well over 100,000 kangaroos on them. That's almost the equivalent of 100,000 extra sheep. Yeah. And it's like, they don't run anywhere near that number. And if you can't sh- profit off those, then yeah. you're getting half the profit off a sheep. Yeah. And you're already not making a lot of cash. Yeah. So if you've got two animals to one sale, yeah. you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a huge problem. Um, and yeah, I, I saw this, I was, I was gobsmacked by the, some of the... You can see how easily, and people do this, and I... I think they've done it is that someone's in the middle of a conversation and they'll take yeah, a small they're, sentence they're cherry picking the cherry picking yeah. like you know the first minute of that that we just watched just cherry picking lines from people they never gave a lot of the, there's a few landowners on here that they never actually got a chance to review the film before it came out or anything like that and and the landowners are so pissed off that You've just taken every word I've said and twisted it. Yeah. And it's not what the message that they, the half an hour or the hour interview, what they were pushing or the what they were saying, but they took that one minute sentence and and, and they turned it all around to make it look horrible. Um, so, yeah, I, I was really like, gee. Oh. And that's why I think that the podcast is so good. Yeah. Is because there's no fucking edits yeah like i can't go through and cut this shit up yeah the only like even the minute instagrams you don't edit that's just a minute of what gets said yeah because it's so easy to frame an argument and look it's very fucking sexy to say to uh, to make a video about kangaroos dying Mm -hmm. 
Like, Jesus Christ, you want to talk about fucking hitting me right in the feels? Yeah. Especially Americans that <laughs> oh, only think of, like, these cute little adorable things. And, again, like, what did I say? They went to a fucking Australia Zoo. Bam. <laughs> Terry Irwin right there. Like, they would have gone to Australia Zoo. And yeah. kangaroos are fucking sick. Like, when I when I get my own place eventually, like, I fully want to do like joey rehabilitation yeah. and stuff yeah because they're amazing yeah, little they're, animals man yeah they're just like little dogs but they're fucking wild <laughs> good luck keeping them in anything yeah so but there is a problem and we got onto it because of what you said before about uh the herd gets so big that they become like uh they, they like no species will regulate themselves they'll just grow until they die mm-hmm. and that's the same with everything and fuck man humans are the same yeah. the difference is and i did a did you listen to the truthless podcast that i did <clears throat> no nah, i still haven't yet we spoke yeah, about this yeah no nah, yeah, i still haven't he said you know he was bringing up some good points and like really challenging me to think about um my stances as well mm-hmm. like he asked me some tough questions mm-hmm. and he said oh well humans don't regulate themselves but the thing is is like at some point, there probably will be something that will regulate humans, yeah. and that's probably going to be artificial intelligence. Yeah. Whoever's at the top of the food chain is in control of regulating the species below them mm-hmm. and keeping those numbers. And there is like this natural order of things uh, and how it's supposed to go. But with the way that humanity has developed, we now are solely responsible, I think, for regulating everything which is too big of a job for us to really control Mm -hmm. and i think that we do things that we think will have the right consequence and and it doesn't there's always unintended consequences of actions yeah and i think when you get as big of a population as of as what humanity is you, you you make a small move and it has a huge impact in another direction that you might not have accounted for because you just can't account yeah. for all yeah. all the variables but basically like i guess my main point with struthless was that yeah humans don't regulate their own um reproduction and which is something we probably should but it's just yeah. not you can't do it yeah it goes against every biological response that is completely unconscious like mm-hmm. you just don't have a fucking choice mm-hmm. and it's the same as a dude perving on a chick when you're in a relationship you don't you're not really supposed to and your life would be fucking better if you didn't look at that chick's tits but you <laughs> fucking can't help it really right yeah and it's those 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 hard programmed even though you know better yeah even though you know don't look at her tits when she walks by you fucking do it there's hard wiring things and i think that that's every species in terms of that that drive to reproduce it's Mm -hmm. not something that can be like i don't think mentally overridden yeah and i mean i think you know there's people that choose not to have kids or whatever so you sort of you do choose but again it's a choice you have to override yeah so you know i think it's our responsibility as that apex um manager of the you know other populations of of animals or Mm -hmm. or whatever and now we've got to do something about yeah. that kangaroo population because the the thing is is like they won't regulate themselves mm-hmm. and if we do have those aspects of humanity compassion and kindness you don't want to see 
like hundreds of thousands of kangaroos just starving to death. Yeah, and and, and that's honestly like that's the reality of it. That's eh? what's happening out there at the drought at the moment. Um, could because you can't. Like you know, there's who's who's paying the farmer to go around there and feed his can- wild population of kangaroos when times get tough. Like n- no one's doing that. He's running a business. He's got his margins and whatever. He's pulled his sheep off last year and he sold them skinny. Didn't capitalize on a good market. He didn't have a choice to when to sell them or whatever. It was you know not his choice to have to sell. Um, and he's got to buy them back at some point. But like there's kangaroos out there at the moment that there's no food left. The population got so big. Um, the reserve of food bank is gone, non-existent. They're still breeding. They're still trying to breed, and they are literally a bag of bones out there, dying of starvation at the moment. As we sit here in this, you know, room, because the population got so big. Whereas if the, you know, and whether this comes back to, you know, humans fucking things up, or well, they're going to die regardless. You know, like you know, whether it was two years ago when that water dried up, or you know, say I guess now or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the what the real answer is. But you've got to manage those populations. That okay, we've put we've put water in now that can potentially keep kangaroos alive. So let's manage our kangaroo population to this amount of numbers, and then even in the droughts, they'll get through. You know, like you know that, that amount of kangaroos or whatever will get through, survive. Yeah, there'll be a few you know tough months out there, but you know they'll get through. So yeah, I don't know. The, it's so so thing, complex. It's so complex to. And the other thing too that I think people don't think about is like the bigger the population and the crazier the the numbers of the population, the easier it is for one thing to wipe them all yeah. out. Yeah. And it's like you know you get yeah whether it's starvation whether it's a disease whether it's some kind of sickness that goes through. And when they're all, there's that many in that close quarters yep. and they're so fucking dense, yep. one sickness can just fuck up all of them. Well, that's what exactly the thing that's happening right now over in China and a few other countries with um, this pig this pig disease. Have you heard about this? Um, oh, it's an epidemic over there. They, like, the numbers are staggering. Once again, I was talking to this pig farmer out at Kangaroo. We got talking about it and there's this, this pig... Um, I don't know if you get up what it's called. It's uh, currently it's like a pig. What do I want to call it? Like not foot and mouth or something like that, but a swine. It's like is it a swine flu? Something like that. That is just. That's in China. Yep, it's in China. Um, um, is there one like from two days ago or anything like that? Or you know, like within really recent African swine flu. That's what it is. African swine flu. Um, and basically, China have more pigs. You know, people, what people don't realize is we just think, oh, huge cities populated. China's like an absolute king of um, like agriculture and producing uh, protein. I think they produce, is it 20%? Just the pork industry in China, it's something ridiculous, produces like 20% of the world's protein. Like not just pork, like protein in general. Like So it's insane the numbers and the piggeries and they literally like factories stacked up alongside 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 each other just for so long and it's wiping out as soon as a pig gets it next day dead and um that that what's that the authorities have stepped up inspections shut some live markets stopped the transport of pigs from the affected areas and culled nearly forty thousand pigs that's fucking wild so forty thousand pigs that's a that's a that's a suncorp stadium full of pigs you you imagine someone walking around with that job whether it's a bolt gun or some kind of gun or whatever and literally his job for the next 
I don't know how long is to kill 40,000 pigs. How many pigs do you reckon you could kill in a minute? Oh, in a minute? Oh, what weapon? If, if like, let's, like, like, say you got to walk around with a gun. Let's do the math on this. You, you, would, you might kill... What's a safe bet? Pigs let's say uh, they're so close together. I'd say one every ten seconds would be you'd get a rhythm. So, so six, six a pig, minute. Yep, six a minute. But then you got to reload after that six shot. So it might might be le- Yeah. So that what's that? Still six thousand six hundred minutes to kill forty thousand. What, and what's that work into days or what, what's it? Oh, I mean, yeah. So how many minutes is that in an hour? So, so divide, divide that, that by, by 60. 60. So that's 111 hours of work of just killing, constantly killing pigs. That's yeah. if you're doing six a minute. Yeah. And and that and that number six a minute is way higher than if you're reloading stuff and yeah, yeah, getting yeah. sorted and then moving. That's like best case scenario. Yep. And that's like literally one next to each other for forever, not changing yeah. piggeries or moving next door and changing pens. Like it's a huge job. There was another country where they just wiped out like 150,000, my mate said. And 150,000, 140,000 or something, like absolutely insane. And he said the problem is that over there, just what you were saying, everything's so close together that as soon as this piggery's got it, this next 15 piggeries, which are all bordering each other, huge risk, wipe them all out so that it doesn't get to the 25th piggery. You know what I mean? Like they sort of have to wipe out 100,000 pigs now because they're so close together to save those pigs further down the, down the road. Yeah. And... This is where Australia is so good for that. We're, we're such a big country, spread out. Um, we use pigs, for example. We don't have pigs, piggery stacked next to each other. We've got farms that might have a piggery, but it might be another 10Ks down the road before the next piggery. Yeah. Whereas in that distance in China, there might literally be 150 piggeries. in that. So like it just moves, and they're all swapping and trading pigs and breeding with each other. Whereas over here, it's much different and much higher regulated that if... We've got a chance, he said, to to stop this ever getting to Australia because one, we've got water as our boundary, and we've got to be very careful and mindful of the import export port yeah. now because this is a horrible disease that once it's in the ground, it's like there forever. Like you can't burn. Like it's super high temperature to kill it, and you, if you freeze a piece of ham that's got it in it, it'll always remain in it. Really? Like 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 there's nothing. This is a horrible disease. It is just Africa's like, just scary. <laughs> Like yeah, everything about Africa is a huge issue. So, yeah, that like you said, having having like say if the kangaroo population when it was at its absolute max six to twelve months ago in Australia, the biggest that it's ever been. Is that is that true? Like, oh, I'm, you think I, that'd be? A- I honestly think it would be because like I mean, this is just a probably a stupid place to stand. But look, I drove across it like Christmas last year, and the whole ground is moving with kangaroos. Really, it, it, the ground out there was like I went Did through. Do you have any? Do you have any photos or anything? Like uh, that? I got some video footage on my phone of of it. Uh, it. I'll pull it. Pull up a couple of videos. The ground of the can like the earth. You look across. You you can't comprehend how many kangaroos are out there. Really, it is insane. the The ground is moving with kangaroos. It's littered, and and how how any landowner can try to think he's going to keep grass on the ground when he's feeding hundreds of thousands of kangaroos is insane. And when that population's so big like that, let's say they get a disease or whatever from somewhere somehow, all of a sudden, like you're saying, that disease can spread so quickly because a, ca- a kangaroo a kangaroo is linked the whole way across Australia. Whereas in some places, if there's like patches of roos or whatever, you've got a chance of like keeping that that you know 
group of kangaroos free of disease until that's eradicated over here and careful of transport and whatever and contamination and then you can start to reintroduce these healthy kangaroos into the affected areas so yeah it's so with that being like i mean i knew it was bad but like not like that yeah but like you've got no chance of like essentially you could wipe out the entire population of kangaroos with like one disease because of the way that they're so saturated throughout australia yeah that's fucking sketchy yeah and that's where like the idea of um conservation has to involve culling of animals basically oh you're trying to get on the wire on the uh trying to trying to get up on trying to get up Nah, you won't be able to. Is yeah. it on your Instagram or something? Nah, it's all, it's all, it's on a video that I've got in in Instagram, not on my actual page. But anyway, where uh, would it be? I'll look it up. Um, my oh, it's a it's a, a private message that got sent to me. Oh right. So okay. yeah, I'll, I'll you can send it to me and I'll put yep. it in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, because I it's people need to see that it is, like, perspective. Yeah, bl- blows eh? your mind. Yep. But yeah, it's like with conservation comes with population management. Mm-hmm. Like the there because there is a, a tipping point where too much is too much yeah like, or like you know a certain number is too many yeah so whether it's fucking dolphins whether it's sharks whether it's ladybugs whether, like you have to be pragmatic enough to think that okay there is a point where okay we're gonna um we're gonna reintroduce this species we're gonna like let's say wolves for example mm-hmm. like wolves are almost extinct now we need to work at reintroducing these wolves into their natural habitat and Mm -hmm. then they're going to start taking care of the elk and deer population but there's going to be a point where there's too many and then they start to fuck up the the elk and deer population and then at that point you know everything has a magic number yeah we just don't live in this fairy tale no absolutely where you can just let things go yeah because like you said, there's reasons why, you know, you now you have these man-made dams that's going to let these kangaroos live when naturally they wouldn't. Yeah. It just isn't... It, it isn't compassionate to let things get so... The numbers get so uh, out of control mm-hmm. that then all of these other problems come along. Yeah. So it's like there is a real responsibility... And unfortunately, that responsibility does involve killing animals. Yeah. And there's there just is no way around it. And, and I think, um, like, and this is where um, my hunter's hat comes on because you're 100% right. Like, there's no, like, there, there's a point in every population if it grows or it shrinks that it needs managing. Like, we need to keep track of this stuff. We need to be, um, like, on top of things and we need um, biologists and we need science and we need, you know, paid positions to work this out and and to study it and where's that money going to come from if it doesn't come from people wanting to yeah invest in that exactly and i see like you know some of the ways that the australian government in the past has tried to deal with issues like huge culls and even at the moment they do that with deer um huge like aerial culling Uh, a lot of that happens in new zealand that well amazing story just recently like within the last like week i'd say there was this huge proposed cull on uh, tar. And if anyone doesn't know what yeah. a tar is, uh, it's a like a Himalayan tar from the Himalayas introduced to New Zealand. So it's not a native animal, um, but hunters from around the world travel to New Zealand because of the hunting uh, environment there and culture of New Zealand and fishing and 
whatever. Anyway, they travel there, pay good money <clears throat> to hunt these tar up in these alpine peaks. Well, the <clears throat> Minister for Health... You had sick freaks like Adam Greentree that yeah. <laughs> risked their life together. Oh, that was a crazy story, wasn't it? Fucking hell. So, yeah, they, they, they go up and they want to hunt these things. Well, the current minister was proposing to wipe out 35,000, which were like the, the figures were that they got were all out of control. Like They, they were lying about the amount they were going to kill. Apparently, you know, this is just all whatever you hear. But, like, you know, it was a total of 35,000 in the end. They started at 10 or whatever to try and get the legislation through, but it turned out to be 35,000 once it passed. Um, And they said the total population of tar is, say, 100,000, when realistically it was only 40,000, you know. So it was going to be this tiny small buffer that was left and take ages for the population to recover and whatever. And the hunters, we all signed, sent emails, signed petitions, all this stuff, and chain, you know, got their attention essentially saying, hey, there's a huge group of us hunters here who really want to be invested in these tar to see, yeah, absolutely, it managed and make sure there's not too many so that the... the, the, the it doesn't, again, d- diminish the yeah, population. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't diminish the population, but also doesn't, you know, erode peak, whatever it is, you know, over there, the environment, keep it beautiful. But there's enough of us that say, hey, like your vote does count. But, you know, so that was a positive. The, the negative of it was that in Australia that hasn't happened in the past or currently. And a lot of resource, I say is resource, deer population, buffalo back in the 80s in the Northern Territory, you know, tens of thousands, might have been 100,000, I think, actually, buffalo shot from helicopters and... Um, and then just gone to waste, Yeah, shot, shot and waste on the ground. And we, we see it waste. Now, we spoke earlier that it's going back into the soil and all that stuff. So there's there is a benefit to it. But there's a, a way better a way better way to do it than just shoot and leave things. People do want to go on crazy adventures out to the Northern Territory and go on a trip of a lifetime and you know see these amazing animals. You know, in what now is kind of their natural habitat. They've been here for you know 150 or whatever it is years. It's it's kind of their natural habitat to a degree. How long does this animal have to be here before we see it as a native or? Or, or a place in the Man, ecosystem. I think that about people too. Yeah. Like when, you know, you, you kind of get people that say like, ah, oh, this isn't your land, it's not your country. I was like, can't I don't know anything else. Yeah. Oh, fucking, this is all I know. Yeah. So it's like, it's got to be, yeah, the same sort of thing for, yeah. for an animal. It's like, yeah. that is there. Yeah. They didn't know anything else. They were, yeah. they, and at some point they've started to evolve. Yeah. To, to be there as yeah. well. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, there's the, and rather than just seeing these animals, yeah, tax pay and this is the the main point not so much that they were wasted i guess on the ground rotting because they're not in a way but yeah they are good great meat going away i said essentially but like taxpayers money back to it is paying that helicopter pilot the, the two shooters in the back for the ammunition the time and all that that like that they're paying someone to to wipe out this pest that they call a pest when there's heaps of other people that would want to go on a crazy adventure and explore and have a hunt and and cook up that meat out there and have a great time and get away from work and the stress of city life and then when they come back to work they're going to be rejuvenated and and, and ready to crack back in and make more profit so they can do it again so the whole Australian economy can boost from these like great resources out there in a bigger picture than just someone being able to shoot an animal instead of someone and, in a chopper and in my I'm putting on my caring for animals uh, hat. 
who knows where that guy's shooting that animal? Mm-hmm. Shoots him in the fucking ankle. On the run, exactly. And that's he shoots th- him in the ankle, and then this poor bastard's going to fucking limp around for, what, two weeks? Yep. The, before it finally fucking yeah, dies? The helicopter's moving. I mean, they obviously got to be professionals, whatever, say they're a good shot. But let's be realistic. The chopper's moving. The pilot doesn't know when the shooter's going to shoot. He's just flinging that chopper where Mate, he can. they're just fucking spraying. Yeah, out of absolutely. That shit. And shoot in the guts. Who cares? It'll die. You know, move on. Like you know, you don't know. Whereas when you have a, you know, I see firsthand when I've got a group of hunters there. You go through everything. You make sure they're a good shot. You make sure they can. They know their gun. They know whatever. And you only allow them to shoot when the perfect situation's there. Yep, broadside shot. Definitely within range, you know, closer than a hundred yards with the with the rifle. If you're a bow hunter, then we want to be like thirty yards or closer um, to keep the energy in the arrow. And like, yeah, there's so many things that are calculated and to if, make sure that animal doesn't suffer. Yep, that it's ethical. Exactly. Man, Adam was saying the coolest shit, like when uh, he was on about he shot animals where it's gone. The bow has gone straight through them. The arrow. Yep. Uh, the arrow, sorry, has gone straight through them, and then they've looked up, like wondering what happened. Mm-hmm. What a what's a better way to go than an animal not even and, knowing that uh, it's in seconds away from dying? Yep, and put their head back down to eat a bit more yeah, grass. Put yeah, put their head down to yeah, eat and then fallen well. over. Yeah, like that is fucking incredible. And and for anyone like that's sort of unsure of bow hunting and like it is incredible what bows. The, the energy that a bow has stored in those carbon fiber limbs to fling an arrow at incredible speed, but also the energy and the inertia of the weight of that. It's like trying to throw, like, you know, you want a heavy arrow essentially with a really sharp, like a sort of like a thick razor blade that's not going to bend or snap. Tip is what's on the end, and that's what you're shooting at the end of your, your bow on, on an arrow um, to kill these animals, and they will kill buffalo way quicker than a bullet will. An arrow will that's kill. That's insane. Eh? Yeah, because... because yeah, I don't go. Won't want to go into too much details, but essentially, it's the way they kill. the 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 razor blade arrow is cutting. It's like when you get cut with a razor blade or whatever. Like you, it's so fine and so sharp, you really can't even feel it. You're like, oh, how did I get cut? That was so sharp. If you ever play with a razor blade, oh, I'm, <laughs> that's <Yeah>. so weird. <laughs> no, I don't cut myself. <laughs> but like you know, whatever, super sharp thing. You can't really feel. Um, oh, we've all had that, or like a paper cut. Yeah, paper cut. I mean, something like that, but. It essentially slides through the the animal so quickly and so fast and so precisely that they bleed out and faint before they even know what happened. Versus a bullet that's all, huge all it's impact like punched in yeah like a fucking oh, sledgehammer yeah like sledgehammer yeah exactly snapping ribs and stuff like that. So ar- yeah, arrows um, are by far inc- an incredible way and an ethical way if you stay within your boundaries of accuracy distance get it set up correctly so that it, it yeah, is I mean, i'm sure you could fuck it up yeah oh, you know it's way, way too many people grab a it's like um i heard i was listening to the joe rogan podcast or whatever he was talking about his um his what does he do some kind of fighting um you're always uh, no yoga he was talking about oh yeah how it's a it's a practice you can never master yoga apparently is that that true i'm not a yoga man oh, but I'm not either, so it was anyway i was like gee it's so similar to like archery like it is something that you are always learning, always trying. Get more proficient, yep. but you're never, you never know all of archery. Yeah, that. Well, yeah. I, to my knowledge, I'm always learning. As much time as I spend on it, you always got something to learn. Always a little trick to pick up, or it's not just picking something up, looking through it and trying to, you know, shoot something. It, yep. it, it's it's a lot more than that for sure. 
Yeah, and like that the whole mass coal thing. You're right. Like I just think you there's you, we're missing out on mm-hmm. a lot of stuff yep. and the same with kangaroos like you have to be a farmer right to kill kangaroos like yeah, you, you can't recreate two ways hunt. nah there's two ways to do it um, one is that being a landowner and, get, and, and applying for a landowner permit um, depending on where your farm is national parks or they control generally the kangaroo populations I believe in every state they'll look at the population numbers and say oh yeah yep you do have you know amount of kangaroos that we can start to manage that population better or they say sorry mate that one kangaroo you've got he's allowed to be there and you won't get to kill it essentially so they'll they'll make that decision for you uh the other way is to be a professional kangaroo shooter who i've got a really good mate um who's a professional kangaroo shooter that is his job national parks once again manage that so it's all managed so when you when you say when they say on that little screen up there, it's, it's have to be killed in mass numbers and can't be managed. That's all bullshit. Like it's all, every animal has a tag that you, like every bullet in your car is essentially paralleled to a tag that it's like, I when I shoot that kangaroo, the first thing I do is go and I tag it, put this plastic tag on it. This is the professional roo shooter. Drags it over, hangs it up, you know, does what he does with it, guts it, cleans it, bleeds it, um, you know, processes it how he needs to in the field stacks it on his back of his ute and then before a certain there's a certain amount of time that he's allowed to be out there from when he kills his first kangaroo to when he has to be back in the chiller with that first kangaroo because of hygiene and meat safety he's got to get back in that time frame from when that first kangaroo gets shot and it has to generally be at night time because that's the cooler time no sunlight so that food safety is like priority gets back there and gets those kangaroos in the chiller all tagged all labelled with his identification number, uh, writes down the property that they got shot on, where they're coming from, uh, and, and so forth. And then, and then it goes into its line of production of being cut up into certain meats. Some will be pet food. Some will be you know human consumption that you see in Woolworths in your macro you know meat little packet and stuff like that. So there's a huge process. More than more than most, oh, I think probably any animal in Australia regulation around the kangaroo because of how protective Australians are of our kangaroos. Like we do want, we do and love as our, we should be, yeah, yeah, exactly. As we should be, we're protecting, uh, protective of our kangaroos. So there is a lot of legislation and rules around it. And now I think in South Australia, at one point we had 250 professional kangaroo shooters. This is going back, like say 10 years. Now we've got 13. And, and that's crazy. Eh? Yeah. And that's because one, the kangaroo, um, and this is a whole nother kettle of fish with the kangaroo issue is that um, so an organisation by the name of Peter, uh, some of us... <laughs> good old Pete. Uh, good old Pete. Fucking wanker. <laughs> uh, did a doco or this private doco apparently talking to my mate who's the roo shooter and they did a doco because what happens as we said earlier, kangaroos have always got one or two joeys at foot. So when the kangaroo shooter shoots a female, he's got to then put down the joey which isn't worth anything but he'll you know it's the humane thing to do oh absolutely leaving it out there to try and survive or get eaten by a fox that night whatever no one wants to be eaten alive by a fox so they knock it on the head um you know instantly instant death done um and that's the way they deal with it which is not pretty yeah, it, it's, it's not, that's not a good that, that's thing right. to think about. And, that and, sucks. And, and no one's out there being a kangaroo shooter saying, "Gee, can't wait tonight, I'm kill a few." Fuck this little bastard. Yeah, up. can't like, wait to no. kill these joeys. Like that is, 
the complete you know opposite of what you know it's probably the low point of their job having to do that shit but they're out there trying to make money which also has a positive of the kangaroo conservation and they're getting paid so anyway they made this documentary they then sent it or video sent it to i think coles and Woolworths were the main two in australia and they said if you don't stop because this has come back to the tags if you don't stop the buying of female kangaroo meat we will say that you are for the killing of joeys and clobbering of joeys in Australia. Coles and Woolworths, knee-jerk reaction, ultimately say, well, we don't want to be labelled as that. So now all they do is they issue, all they do want to do is buy the male meat. <sighs> now, anyone knows that it takes, so now all that happens is the male kangaroos get shot. Is that still how it yep, works? Yeah, that still happens. Oh, fuck. So this is why the kangaroo populations have exploded, not just because of the water, but because of the demographic of, one, the gene pool's shit-ass because there's oh, only males getting shot and there's an imbalance. But two, it takes one male to breed, I don't know how many female does, you know, that night or that week when there should be equal males and females getting shot. So, that so there's natural competition, natural absolutely. selection. Yeah, but when you're taking out only the males and there's just huge amount of females out there there's one or two yeah it is a nightmare and and this is what like a huge imbalance because of you know this this emotion this emotional thing that is compassion it's like our biggest strength is our biggest weakness sort of thing the same thing that we're like yeah we we do have compassion we do know these things and we have a conscience and we can regulate things it's also our biggest killer as well it's like we're doing things that you know who's right who's wrong yeah ultimately that's the thing like you have to just seek the balance yeah you know and there's no there's no good just it's like they're saying like the truth is in the middle yeah like there's no good to killing every kangaroo yeah and there's no good to keeping every kangaroo alive yeah it's just it's not gonna work yeah and i I didn't know that that was still a thing that sucks yeah still a thing so and man like it's just I wonder why an organ an organization like Coles and Woolies can't put a bit of money into their own fucking research mm-hmm. and their own film yeah. and their own like education. Yeah. And do a campaign to the Australian public and says, Look, we've been blackmailed here by Peter essentially. Mm-hmm. They've come to us and they've said that if you don't stop ordering uh, you know, female kangaroo meat then this is what we're going to do counter that by saying look guys this is an uncomfortable truth yeah that is uh that goes with this conservation effort to bring down kangaroo numbers if we only take male kangaroo meat this is what's going to happen yeah these are some of the negative consequences in terms of the overall population of the australian kangaroo population yeah go consumers make up your mind yeah at the end of the day, we don't want to kill these joeys. We don't want to have, you know, this stuff happen. But this is a harsh yeah. reality of bringing food to table. Yeah. And it's like, are we too retarded as an Australian population to make a a, a solid judgment call if we're given all of the facts? The problem is that it is that stock market shareholders, knee-jerk reaction, better get on top of this before... Mm-hmm it gets out yeah like give us the fucking facts man yeah and let us make up our own mind yeah instead of being bullied by an organization that is notorious for it yeah and i think too like you see this a lot in um in like the whole college campus sort of thing in america Mm -hmm. at the moment 
and it's like I think the people that started Peter probably had some pretty solid morals and yep. ideals yeah. and were probably super educated and really saw some gross imbalances and really went after some shit mm-hmm. right and then you get people that then get like bred into this system to where they're not coming from like an outside perspective. Yeah. They're only living their their whole ecosystem. They've been bred into this system yeah. and there's no room left or right. Yeah. And they become uh it's all they know. Yeah. Whereas I think the people that started Peter, they knew something else. They knew uh a different world yeah. and wanted to make a difference. Yeah. And that's how I think things slowly get pushed to like more yeah. extremes. Yeah. And I think you see that everywhere, right? Yeah, I, reckon you do. I think you see that in like those college campuses where we're talking about like race and gender and things like that. It's like the first guy that brought it up was bringing it up from like a balanced perspective. Mm-hmm. And then as they start to get followers, you get this generational effect of people that only want to know one side oh and and their whole life revolves around that one side like and and that's why like i remember saying like years ago when that we were having like the terrorism was like a mm-hmm. big thing i was just saying that it's like it, it'd be like having al-qaeda dictate australia's foreign policy foreign policy mm-hmm. you'd go well that's fucking stupid why would you get an extremist to dictate the policy of something that affects extremists. Yeah. Well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, it's too close to home. Yeah. And it's like uh, having a feminist be the minister for male fucking whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's too close. You need yeah. these removed third parties. Yeah. And like to really get all of the information. Yeah. Because if you've got this crazy ideology that's attached to anything, you're probably not going to make sound decisions. Yeah as a result yep. you're probably going to go with the things that align solely with your ideology yeah and i think you could say the same about like fucking a vegan run in australia's meat export mm-hmm. like you just can't have people that are so emotionally tied to policy and 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 then being able to dictate policy and it's both that's why we have like the separation of church and state yeah because we we said way back when that we that religion shouldn't dictate policy yeah i mean it still does in a lot of in a lot of ways but it's i think that that thinking is super smart Mm -hmm. to to go back then and say okay these things have to be separate yeah but now like you know the guys that are at peter or the guys that are um you know name the thing Mm that they're they're so fucking in it but they're the ones dictating policy there's no separation of church and state yeah and i think that if you just explain that to someone if you're if you're woolies and they come to you and they say like you know this is what's going on you go look guys you need to understand that these are the facts coming from this side of the argument Mm mm-hmm and we can't make a decision based on a group of people that are coming from just there yeah. because it's never going to work. Yeah. And it's just a shame that that bullying and the reach that they have. Yeah. And then like, then you get the follow on effect of, um, 
you get like celebrities that jump on board and you yeah. get like all of these fucking yeah big name people, people that, that, that want to get behind that it they think just because they've taken the higher ground and, and 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 say this about animals and protecting animals that it automatically makes me a good person yeah you know they, they take that higher ground that yep protect that because i'm a good I'm moral a, grand yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a good person now i did that i stood up for that when like i think what we're missing in today's society with a lot of these decisions is just having a conversation about it. Yep. Like, let's get people from both sides. Let's have a conversation. Let's let's hear both points because I'm sure, like you said, um, with Struthless, made some great points. And you know, ma- 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 points. And, and this is where it is so important to to listen and be able to listen to people. It's such like a a trait that people don't want to have anymore. They don't want to listen. They go into an argument completely one sided, completely closed minded. That I'm right, you're wrong. I'll swear, I'll spit, I'll throw things, I'll do whatever to get my point across. Don't want to know what you have to say anymore. And it's like, it's such like a, a gross pride thing in that, that I'm right, you're wrong, and yeah, whatever. it more about winning than it does about what's actually right. Yeah, yeah. Because, fuck man, it's good to be wrong. Yeah. Like, if I, that's, there's like a, it's like a jiu-jitsu saying was probably said, like, I mean, I heard it through jiu-jitsu, but it's mm-hmm. like you either, you either win or you learn. Mm-hmm. Like you, you take if yeah, you if you avoid losing your entire life, what the fuck do you know? Yeah. Like I get excited about being wrong by, at, at at something. Yeah. Because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. If I'm wrong, I didn't know something. Yeah. And if I've been proven wrong, now I do know. Yeah. And it's an exciting feeling. And I think that there's a there's a real like negative stigma around being wrong mm-hmm. or losing. And it's like, man, you just grew. You just added to something. And it's cool what you said when the whole Cecil the Lion thing happened to where it like actually made you think. Like there's two reactions as a guy that runs a fucking hunting business is just heels in the ground Mm -hmm. and just going, fucking you'll you'll have to drag me kicking and screaming, (laughs) which there's a lot of people in the hunting world that would do that. There's everyone is guilty of that at, yep. at points. Yeah. But then there's the people like yourself that then would go like, oh, fuck, I better have a think about this. Mm. And it's like when Struthless was on the podcast, I didn't like push back. I just literally sat there and went like, eh, fuck, I haven't thought about that. Mm. And I just sat there and I was thinking and it forced me to think. Yeah. I wasn't going like back straight to full defensive mode mm-hmm. because it's like, what purpose does that actually serve you yeah absolutely. like if you're wrong you should be wrong there's yeah. value in being yeah. wrong yeah because then now you just have more shit that you know yeah you become a better version of yourself yeah yeah and i think that's the lines that are like getting blurred like and i don't know maybe this is just a stereotype thing to say that you get caught up in it but like i think nowadays like people people are too scared as you said to lose people are, they don't want to have winners and losers they just want everyone to be winners they don't want you know people to be right or wrong it's like everyone can be right and you know and it's like it's such it's like no there's you said in schools and stuff like they don't want to give out first place yeah. awards and stuff anymore because you know that oh, the person that lost feels bad and upset and goes home and it's like well you're forcing him to if, if he does care about it to train and be better and get better and grow like yeah. and, and and to evolve like that's been the human you know our, our biggest strength over the years that's is the ultimate human endeavor yeah that's what we do we we get like we've had to either get better learn to survive or die now we live in this world of just comfort that oh, i don't have to go get my meat anymore it's in more worse and i don't have to do this anymore someone's done that for me so we're getting lazy and 
Like it's amazing how like the wild animals, only the fit, only the smart, only the strong survive. Humans, mate, anyone, anyone gets to breed yeah, these exactly. days. Anyone gets to live these days. And it's like we are like our minds is, you know, at times the thing that's like, you know, leading us to where we are, our be- like our intelligence of like being able to say, oh, I don't need to wrestle that lion bare hands anymore or with my club. I'll build a bullet and a rifle and shoot the thing. Or, you know, like, so our minds have got us out of trouble. Um, but now that's gone too far yeah. and it's getting us back in yeah, trouble. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking, uh, yeah, it's definitely. It, like you said, everything's good. Everything's bad. Everything has like a balance, like yin, yin and yang or whatever it is, you know, like yeah, there's, there's too far of either. The, the thing is, and it's very uncomfortable to think about it because the potential of you being, the one that loses the odds are way way more in favor of you being a loser than a winner in the game of life Mm. and life is a game and jeff bezos right now the dude that owns amazon Mm. is the guy winning life (laughs) like straight up yeah he's figured out how to get all of the money Mm -hmm. like he's the dude that has the most independent money in, in the world, on the planet. He's mm-hmm. the dude winning life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, then you can, you know, there's like the arguments, like you get the Bernie Sanders argument or like the socialist movements and it's like, we need to give everyone money. They're fucking the people that are losing. Yeah. They're the people that are losing and they're the people that want to be a part of that winning thing. Like that's all, like people that say like, oh, you know, you sh- it shouldn't matter if you win or lose. Um, Okay, you're a loser that wants a piece of the win. Mm-hmm that's all it is and it's like you're disguising that as like no it doesn't matter it does matter if it doesn't if it didn't matter then you'd be cool with losing Mm -hmm. because that's fucking how it is but all of a sudden you're not comfortable with being a loser you actually can't win so now you want to bring a part of that win to yourself through whatever fucking way that you can and unfortunate it's it's just an unfortunate reality there's always going to be winners there's always gonna be losers yeah and in life you need to structure your life your daily activities your habits every fucking thing in your life should be structured about winning the race that you're born into yeah and it's it is what it is and and also that 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 race that you prioritize might look completely different Uh, exactly you know like and, and it's not just for some it's not just that that financial gain of amazon exactly you know like it can be a range of things um you know time with the family whatever free space you know like not having a mortgage over your head like whatever whatever it might be i know it comes back to money money is the thing that makes the world go round. exactly it is it is the commodity that we all do need to survive and and to to do all of those things that you said to have freedom to spend more time with your family to not have a mortgage at some point, you need to be a fucking winner yep. to get any of those oh, things. Winning's the, the key ingredient. Yep. And you need... So that, you know, like exactly what you said, we're, we're starting this culture where, you know, you don't really have to work that hard to get by. Mm-hmm. You can be on welfare. You can uh, just go and get your meat. You don't have to hunt mm-hmm. the meat. Like, we've, we've dumbed down society so much and now there is unfortunately a fucking massive gap between the winners and the losers yeah and now the losers are trying to like bring that gap it's like bro you made this yeah 
Like, if you don't get up every fucking day and get out of bed and try and win at something... Like, I'm not out to be Jeff Bezos. Mm-hmm. You're not out to be Jeff Bezos. If I die and never be the guy that has the most money in the world, didn't make me a loser. Yeah. Like, we're, we are all running our own race. Yeah. You have to know what your finish line is yeah. or what your... Uh, grand final trophy is Mm -hmm. and you have to fucking win at that yeah like that's how you have to structure your life yeah and yeah we're just moving into a place where it's like encourage this mediocrity is encouraged or it's like we want to level everybody out so no one feels the highs or the lows of winning it's like what the fuck kind of world is that gonna be absolutely it's gonna be dog shit (laughs) that's exactly where all like the mental shit starts like when like i think we do have chemicals in our brain to push us towards winning and when you're encouraged just to who cares survival yeah absolutely that's what what whether millions and years of like has created us to become and that's what has pushed us here is to win and to to strive to be purposeful um to be even i i think a super important one is um discipline like you having discipline in your life like people that don't you know worry about discipline and stuff i think yeah they're like they're, they're missing a big part of it like there's a lot of like you with your training and stuff and like there's a lot of purpose you get from being disciplined in yourself like you feel good about yourself yeah. sticking to things that you said is important yeah i want to i want to prioritize this and you and you're disciplined towards it like that there, there is a oh, i know scientists but i believe there would be a chemical that's released whether whatever it is it's like yeah i'm succeeding i'm doing these things that i've set out to do and that's where, like, when you're not, people start to get depressed. People start to, like, feel shit well, about themselves. You're losing at that point. Yeah. Because it's, I think, like, that that training thing is, like, a good example. Because I am training and I'm working super hard at it. And there is a goal of winning mm-hmm. and a goal of being better. And that winning... Like there is competitions and stuff where they literally give a medal. So it's like a very clear indication of being the winner. Mm -hmm. But it's not just about a competition. Like there are wins that you have with yourself Mm -hmm. that are important that then make you feel like a winner. And then you carry those wins into like everything in your life and slowly you start to cultivate like this winner's attitude and this winning mindset yeah and then that's where i think that yeah you do have like the the chemicals that that get released and and it is like purpose and and meaning and if you can't like if there's no win or lose then why play Mm mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. What's the, there's there's no incentive. Like what? There's no meaning that mm-hmm. can be derived from no result. Mm-hmm. If if you like what if you start at zero and then a win is a one and a loss is a negative one and a zero means you stay in the same place. Like there's no meaning. Like yeah. literally, if if you just kind of go through life on that zero, mm-hmm. then you should have just stayed where you started. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm like I'm not huge in games and stuff like that, but like I'm sitting here thinking like, has there ever been a game or like a PlayStation game or computer game where like it's a huge game, a huge success that there's no winners? Like, no. I, like yeah, like I don't I can't think of one. I don't think there is. Like it's like there ha- there has to be a winner. That's what life. That's what we demand as humans. It's ingrained in us to win. Like that's why because winning is survival. Yeah, and and now that 
like a win in pre-human history would have been to survive long enough to procreate. Mm -hmm. That's the win, Mm -hmm. right? And that's the win for kangaroos. That's the win for fucking deer. That's the win for cows. Like that's, that's the biological win. Mm -hmm. There's, and, and there's a drive for that, that you can't switch off. Mm -hmm. Like, do you think there would be one kangaroo in Australia that could get pregnant that chooses not to? Yeah, absolutely not. Or yeah, no, yeah, no. It does, uh, it does, that doesn't <laughs> exist in nature, right? Yeah. Like, what fucking kangaroos are just chilling by the fucking the watering hole, and a and a bull comes up to to give them a poke, and they just go, nah, not not interested. I don't, well, I'm not going to breed. Yeah, it doesn't exist, man. Yeah. And I think that like we're the same, but we've evolved to be this fucking person without. Well, we're a species that doesn't exactly have to work for survival. So that that gap needs to be filled Mm -hmm. that drive Mm -hmm. like it's easy to procreate it's easy to survive there's there is no win that that wins almost guaranteed yep so if that wins guaranteed but that drive is still there and it's i think our intelligence is like a curse as well Mm -hmm. because now we've got this time to think where we can be philosophical we can research we can do fucking pointless jujitsu. Like I can mm-hmm. drive to just go wrestle cunts yeah. for an hour yeah. a day. Yeah. Like it's, it's pointless yeah. really, but there is like a meaning in that. Mm-hmm. Like you're where we still have this drive to find meaning in stuff we do. And, and I think that meaning it does come from winning and yeah. it's not necessarily competition or, but there has to be a result. Yeah. You have to be doing an action and then getting a positive or negative feedback from that action. And you're chasing more positive feedback than negative feedback. And that's why, you know, you win or you learn. Mm -hmm. Because, again, you lose. That's feedback. I lost my last fight. And I I was fucking gutted because I'd trained so hard. But it taught me a bunch of shit. Mm -hmm. It taught me that I was more focused on winning than the process Mm -hmm. or, like, what was actually going to let me win. And then when I went back and I watched what I did... I saw holes like a fucking leaking bucket in my game. Mm -hmm. And all I've done since I lost that fight was fucking try and patch up those holes to my leaking bucket. Work on them. And there's meaning in that. Every time something that I I do something at training that was like a a fix to that leaking bucket that was my last loss, I feel good. Yeah. There is that that meaning that, that comes from it. So it's like, it's just so fucking important to recognize as a human that you need to win. Yeah. You need to win at something. Even if you never do a competition against another person, then you need to do it against yourself. But like I, I did a, um, I did a talk at my old school when I was in Cairns last time. Yeah. And I said to these kids that are about to leave year 12. And I said to these kids, I was like, like it or not, you're about to enter a race and you might not want to run this race. You might fucking hate running, but guess what? You're about to be dropped on a fucking treadmill. And if you don't run, you're going to fall flat on your face. It's going to spit you out the fucking back of it. And you're going to be left wondering. Yeah. And while you're sitting there with a fucking bruise on your knee and a bruise on your ego, there's going to be some kid that's going, fuck yes. And that dude is running his fucking ass off. And that treadmill's building up steam. And you're so far behind that every time you get on that fucking treadmill, even if you decide that you want to run this race again, mm-hmm. you're like, you know what? 
fuck it, I am going to get in this race. That dude's going to be running so fucking fast that your legs can't keep up with that guy. Yeah. And every time you get on that treadmill, you're going to fall flat on your fucking face again. <laughs> and that's life Yeah. when you're an adult. And unless there's someone that's propping you up and, and keeping you going, if you want to be an adult that stands on your own two fucking feet, you've got to hit that ground running from the moment you can when the treadmill's slow enough for you to keep up. Yeah. And you've got to go. Mm-hmm. And it, you don't have a choice. There's no... And like I, I was saying to these kids, I was like, you you might even be the right person. Like, you're going to go to a job interview. It might be a job you don't even want, but it's a job you need. And you might... Like, either way, there's going to be five or six people going for that job. And they might fucking kill it in that interview. They might be better than you. The dude that gets the job might be worse than you. But you don't have a choice. Like, mm-hmm. you've got to get in there and you've got to compete every single everything we do in life as as adults once we leave the nest it's a race yeah it's a competition to see who wants it more mm-hmm. because the boss wants to hire the dude that's going to work the hardest for the least money yeah you know the farmer wants to have the the, the best cow that's going to get the most you know money at, yeah. at market yeah Put on and the there's, there's just no way to avoid that mm-hmm. and you can fucking kick and scream about it and you can say it's not fair but no one cares yeah no absolutely it's just the long and the short of it yep so anyway we'll we'll switch gears i want to talk about your bloody um your hunting business okay yep because i'm interested in doing that at some point yeah yeah no it's it's interesting i've got um got a few things like i don't know whether i should even talk about one of them but um got a few things that are going on um i I see a real importance of like education um i've had a lot of people that have um come over from america um who've hunted all around the world very very wealthy people that have hunted all around the world done crazy things they tell the stories wow that's insane anyway they they go out we find a a great animal you know the the right animal to kill and and have a hunt and whatever um they make a good shot kill it and then we go over there and we start to cut it up to to process the meat and stuff and um me personally like i want something to do with it i just don't want to if if i had someone that was there with me if i went to africa and i know they've got some so they got skinners and people that cut it up and stuff for you i wouldn't want that i want to do it on myself and see it done and i enjoy that process of being there and whatnot anyway you hand them the knife and they just don't know how to do it they've, they've never ever skun and learned to skin an animal they've never learned to butcher an animal and cut up the meat into certain meat cuts and certain you know muscle groups and stuff like that and it's just like it's like wow how how can you travel the world hunting you know and really not know the fundamentals of i think what makes you a hunter oh, hang on this thing stop recording sorry dude. Right. Sorry, mate. So um, we talked about, uh, just ended up about like people not really knowing um, the, yeah, flip that bit up. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah. 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 And then I need to get some new headphones. They fuck everyone up. Is that right? Just look. Oh, you got it, mate. Bloody done it a few times. <laughs> so yeah, like people sort of, a lot of these recreational hunters don't actually know the process as good as maybe they could yep yep that's sort of what i've observed now that's the style of hunting that i've been i guess advertising to which is generally the 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 style of hunting that you can make the most profit of is you know smart generally the smart business decision is to try and target an audience that have 
can afford the the thing that you offer uh and yeah just seeing a lot of people just really uneducated and unskilled in the areas of hunting and processing and and even stalking ability of just the the, the real basics of hunting and you know reading animals learning about animals and similar what we talked of earlier i think there's a growing demand of people wanting to know where their food comes from um there's a potentially i don't know they say the numbers are probably dropping off and that's because the demographic of hunters is really old and they're dying but i think but i think it's coming back i think it's coming back i think there's the people that are understanding that hey wild animals uh, and wild meat is like a healthy option it's a great alternative now, how do I do it? How do I learn? I don't know anyone that owns a farm with wild animals on it. I don't know, you know, Australia for one is very, very hard to hunt. Um, like we don't have public lands and stuff to hunt like America and New Zealand do at, at the our disposal. There are some places you can, but, it, it, you know, where do you start sort of thing? And the same goes, where do you start? Essentially, even if there was in America or New Zealand places to hunt, it's like, what equipment do I need? How do I do that? Yeah. How do, like So I guess I see like potential for uh, education and, and, and looking to um, yeah educate people and take them on a bit of a trip and adventure that they're going to remember, teach them the basics of hunting. Uh, that's what like I, I want to really do in the future. And I'm sort of what I'm over here in, in Queensland looking at now, sort of properties that will facilitate that um style of hunting rather than up in the territory with what i currently do of hunting buffalo just a big sometimes angry animal that people can get nervous of scared you need bigger guns or a more powerful bow that sometimes beginners can't handle yeah so it doesn't suit that but yeah at the moment i basically take tours um uh, up in the northern territory people fly into to darwin and uh, pick them up and take them out for about a week at a time and um introduce them to some of my friends along the way uh, indigenous mates out there and uh and have a good time basically show them australia they're generally americans as i said earlier that, that come over for trips so um and how many yeah. of these are you doing a year oh well, this year i did none uh yeah carried on a little bit thought <laughs> i thought i knew how to ride a, ride a motorbike and Got a uh, bit inspired listening <laughs> to the podcast <laughs> yeah yeah a few of the early uh guests you had on here mate just yeah thought screw it on and and, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and bad. but um yeah generally like i'll run anywhere from oh four to twelve a year um of these tours um and so, and they're generally group tours um yep. so they come with a mate or, or a few mates um and uh and run them up through the dry season which is june july august up in the northern territory um beautiful time of the year to be up there so yeah yeah, it's um, it's definitely. I, I'd love to go do a trip. Eh? Yeah, like I'd be keen as I've, yep. I've been up through there, um, before, but never, I guess, like on a hunting trip as yep. such. Like we used to go through the Cape a lot, but we mainly were fishing. Yeah. Um, and then you know we'd shoot pigs and mm-hmm. and ruse back in the day out of just when you weren't fishing sort yep. of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's but since. Since like hearing Adam and and a lot of Joe Rogan stuff mm-hmm. with like Cam Haynes, it really made me a lot more interested yeah. in, in hunting from like that con- conservation yeah. perspective. Yep. And it, I, th- I think now with these platforms like that, like you know, you being maybe not sure, you know, potentially not sure about it, or open to the idea, but not really interested in a way. But now this education process, when things get, it makes sense. It now. does. It yeah. does make sense when people you know openly want to listen and learn. I think I think a calculated you know thought process like yeah that makes sense like mm. I want to try hunting you know maybe, Dude. maybe it's not for me maybe it is but I want to give it a go like man I've legitimately had multiple people 
messages the podcast after Adam Greentree yeah. with pictures of bows they bought. Yeah, unreal. Like what that guy does for bow hunting. Yeah, and men like him, Rogan, Cam Haynes, yeah. Steve Ranella, all those dudes. They would have fucking sold so many yeah. bows. Yeah. Like even, I think, man, it might be like seven or eight dudes yeah. had DM'd me after Adam's podcast Unreal. with the bow. Yeah. And it it is, I think it's now starting to click. And I mean, yeah, we hunted as kids, but it was just a fun yeah. pastime thing. Yeah. We knew that pigs were pests and we just went out and, mm-hmm. and tried to, tried to cull them. Yeah. But like now to you know i'm i'm gonna go buy some kangaroo meat from from woolies Sasavo. yeah and i'm gonna i'm and, gonna have kangaroo meat for and, dinner because i've i think that this is important yeah. it's uh important to educate people it's important to know that there are problems out there and hunting is a way to fix these mm-hmm. problems yeah like there's a the i really like what the u.s does too with all of like the outdoor stores and the mm-hmm. like uh bass pro shop and the hunting stores they they have to they get taxed by the government and that money goes towards conservation hunters contribute more money to uh wildlife conservation in america than anybody else if you if you see the numbers if you suck a dick peter (laughs) yeah if you see the numbers of hunter hunting money from either firearms ammunition even a camouflage jacket a tent whatever it is you see, and then not only that, the licenses and fees and permits tags and tags and stuff, that yep. people spend the to travel, to, to travel, hotels, yep, all the shit food to get in there to do this. It is incredible the cost you know that a hunter will go through for an opportunity, not not a guarantee that he gets to kill that elk in the mountains, but a chance that he gets to go and experience screaming bulls in September and experience a great hunt. Like that's what people like. It's in. No, no photographer, no, um, just recreate. You know, not even recreational person, but like someone at home that loves to see elk and wants to see a biologist manage their population and look after them. No one's going to spend a minimum of like ten thousand dollars a year on, you know, tax money or whatever it is to see that elk survive. It's it's people that get an opportunity. Not not to, not everyone out there is killing these animals, but they're all spending money. They're all putting their hard-earned dollars that they're already paying tax on, buying other stuff, paying more tax on it to then go and have a crack at being in the mountains with these wild animals that probably, I think it's like 10% or something of elk hunters actually kill an elk. Like the, the numbers are so small, but everyone wants that opportunity because it's a special, until you get out there and you actually do it and you hear those those bulls scream and you see the size of them and you see what they move like, move like with their antlers and stuff like that, like... That is an experience you can't get at home looking through a 3D TV or whatever it is you're trying to do. Reading the National Geographic yep. thinking that you love animals. Exactly. And that's why they continue to go back. Next year, they do it again. They'll spend another 10 grand more or more to have that experience again. And, tr- you know, like it's no one else is doing that. It's, it's mm. the hunters that are spending that money because it is a special experience. And it's not just a lot of hunters, I think. The more time I've spent hunting, it started differently for me and, and I've got grace for people that are still in this position because that's that was me once upon a time but it's not about killing an animal anymore. Like, yes, that's an important part. That's that's like a huge part of it. That's what makes you a hunter is to be able to, to outsmart and kill an animal and take the right animal at the right time of the year when he's got, you know, when he's when she's not pregnant or she doesn't have a fawn or whether he's, you know, whatever, whatever the cycle is, you've, you've got to try and get around. That's not my. It's the experience you go there for. It's it's the sights and the sounds, and you you're hunting elk in Montana, but it's the little squirrel that 
shoots up that tree it's like whoa that's that's cool you know and then it might be the black bear that you come across you know this golden black bear that's you know full like getting ready for winter and fat as a horse and you get over the side and you see this black bear feeding in the bottom of a creek on something and it's like whoa that you know that's special and it's like so it's not just about being there and bloodthirsty where's the next thing that i can kill it's oh, your, your senses when while you're out there just come alive like what we were thousands of years ago or you know that's what you feel like when you're out there it's like i'm out here trying to survive i got the thought of a, a grizzly can be out here too i got mountain lions you know whatever it is if you're in america australia snakes whatever if you're scared of them like you know you got things that you're trying to avoid and protect yourself from crocodiles in the northern territory don't go too close to that you know hold this here whatever and then you've got your prey that you're trying to achieve and hunt and outsmart and trying to pattern. Okay, we realize that, yeah, the buffalo, they're coming down to water first thing every morning and then they go back up into the sticky, tr- you know, thick trees and shade and, and they rest in bed in there. And then just before last lot, they come back out again and they want to have another drink of water. So you start to like figure out these animals and you get so invested into it that it's like, wow, I, I'm, I'm 20 meters or 15 meters from this huge big buffalo, but it's like, oh, like you just in awe, like whoa! Like look at the flies on its neck and how it flicks its tail around to try and you know get rid of them and you know stamps the ground and sniffs something. It's like you're taking in everything. It's so much bigger than just trying to kill things and you know mm. it, it, it's yeah it's and then you've got when you do you know put a perfect shot on that buffalo and you get to see it die and you experience that and it's like whoa! Like you know all the effort that I've gone through, the money that I've invested in this. Now I get to be there, cut it up myself and like the process of doing that and then the reward of bringing that meat home and chucking it on the barbie with your mates and having a few beers and talking about the story and that that time that, you know, you saw him in there and you missed him that time and he outsmarted you and the story that goes with it, it's like so much more special than than buying a a steak from Woolworths. Mm -hmm. You know, money can't buy that experience, um, essentially, I think, so... Yeah, it's it's much bigger than just bloodthirst for sure. Yeah, well, I'm I'm excited to um to get out there and at some point with you and do yeah. it. Um, where can people find your tours and your Instagram and all that stuff? Yeah, basically, I run it all like kind of through my. Uh, it's all on my Instagram and stuff now, uh, essentially. But um, I, I did um I do have an Instagram account for my business side of things. Um, Buff Hunts Australia, like for Buffalo Hunts Australia on Instagram. Um. I check it still, but I don't really post much there. It's all more on my my own now. But um, yeah, it's all still there, and there's a website as well. So, yeah, sweet as well. Yeah. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. We're running out of bloody shit on all our cameras, yeah, nah. so that, that's the signal <laughs> that we're that we've hit the mark. But no, I'm so glad you come in, man. Like yeah. I'm stoked we got to do it. I enjoyed it, learned a lot. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I think a lot of people will enjoy listening to it. And this won't be the last time you're on the podcast. Oh, so nah, there's so much, so much more we could talk about. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, mate. Awesome. No, no dramas about that. All right, that's it. As always, thank you very much for sticking around. Thank you for listening. Uh, This week, we are heading to X Games. I'm going to be going with Sam uh, and Andy Jackman. We're going to be doing a little bit of road trip, and I'll just be sitting in the fist booth with the podcast stuff uh, open and ready to record. So have absolutely no idea what to expect there. Um, What else? That's really it. Um, exciting times coming up. I guess we have got uh, Sydney X Games. Uh, then I'm going to Melbourne for the Pan Pack uh, Jiu Jitsu 
titles, and then we've got Sydney Supercross, which we'll be doing some stuff from that. And then two weeks after that, we've got Auckland, uh, and then a little trip to Ben Townley's house is planned after that. So yeah, pretty pretty busy, I guess. Uh, it's going to be a good opportunity to meet a bunch of people that listen to the podcast as well, which I'm excited about. Uh, if you are at X Games, come to the Fist booth and say hello. If you're at Supercross, come to, uh, I think we'll be at the Nobby booth for that one. Uh, we're still trying to get everything lined up. But again, just make sure you come say hello um, if you're at any of these uh, places where we will be broadcasting. Thanks again to our sponsors. Uh, join the Nobby Nation if you haven't already, uh, as well as Boost Mobile. Thanks very much, guys. Uh, enjoyed your company and look forward to um, seeing you soon.